We're good. Isaac, we're ready to start whenever you are. Hey. Okay, good evening, everyone. Um, uh, the first item on our agenda this night before we turn it over to the chair is with respect to item AA listed on the Planning Commission agenda. Uh, the Planning Commission will take formal action or will consider formal action with respect to a teleconference request by Commissioner Kimberly Copeland to participate via teleconference at tonight's regular meeting. Uh, so I'll, I'll start by asking a series of questions of our uh, uh, Mr. Gillig. Um, so Mr. Gillig, can you please confirm the following, that the City's regular Planning Commission meeting is currently streaming on a two-way audiovisual platform and two-way telephonic service, live webcasting is working for members of the public? Yes. Can you confirm that a majority of the commission are present and appear in person in chambers at the location noticed on the Planning Commission agenda? Yes. Can you confirm the agenda clearly explains the options by which the public can participate remotely in tonight's meeting? Yes. Can you confirm there is a public hearing on tonight's published agenda? Yes. And can you confirm the amount of times that Commissioner Kimberly Copeland has appeared remotely this year outside of hybrid meetings held under AB 361? None. Okay, thank you. And I will now ask the chair to please read the circumstances justifying Commissioner Copeland's requested remote participation and call a roll call vote of the commission to accept that remote participation. Yes, Commissioner Copeland is seeking to participate remotely based on an unexpected family emergency that prevents the member from attending in person. We'll now take a roll call vote of the other members of the commission to confirm whether Commissioner Copeland can participate remotely. Would anyone like to make a motion? Vice Chair. All motion. All okay. second. Thank you. Motion by Vice Chair Lombardi, seconded by Commissioner Jones. Uh, Commissioner Jones. Yes. Commissioner Meadows. Yes. Commissioner Gregoire. Yes. Commissioner Edwards. Yes. Vice Chair Lombardi. Yes. Chair Carvalero. Yes. And the motion passes. Great. Thank you. I'll start with. Uh, just one, one quick note for Commissioner Copeland. Uh, Commissioner Copeland, uh, you must publicly disclose if anyone over 18 years of age is in the room with you. Will you please confirm whether there is anyone in the room with you this evening? There is no one in the room with me this evening. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, 
Uh, back to our chair. Great, thank you. I'll start, start with our land acknowledgement. The West Hollywood Planning Commission acknowledges that the land on which we gather, and that is currently known as the City of West Hollywood, is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrielino Tongva and Gabrielino Keech peoples. The Planning Commission meeting is being live broadcast and teleconferenced on the city's website, and as a courtesy, this meeting is also available on the city's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash WeHo TV and on Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, and Android TV. You may call in to make a comment, and you may also listen to this meeting by dialing 669-900-6833. Again, that's 669-900-6833. Meeting ID 859-5806-2159, and then press the pound sign. I will now officially call this meeting the West Hollywood Planning Commission to order. It is 636, and um, the Pledge of Allegiance. Commissioner Jones, do you mind leading us? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Good evening. Uh, tonight, uh, there will be no digital or electronic voting. Everything will be done by roll call votes. Uh, Commissioner Meadows. Present. Commissioner Jones. Here. Commissioner Gregoire. Here. Commissioner Edwards. Here. Commissioner Copeland. Here. Vice Chair Lombardi. Here. Chair Carvalero. Here. And we have a quorum. Thank you. Um, approval of the minutes from October 5th, 2023. Do we have any changes that need to be noted? No? Can I get a motion? I'll move. I'll approval. second. Thank you. Moved by Commissioner Meadows, seconded by Commissioner Jones. Commissioner Meadows. Yes. Commissioner Jones. Yes. Commissioner Gregoire. Yes. Commissioner Edwards. Yes. Commissioner Copeland. Yes. Vice Chair Lombardi. Yes. Chair Carvalero. Yes. And the minutes uh, for October 5th, 2023 are approved as presented okay. on a unanimous vote. Thank you. Um, so that, that brings us to our public comment. I have one item from staff. If anybody's here for item 9A, which is the 910 to 916 North Weatherly Drive project, um, it's been continued to November 16th. So if you want to make a comment during public comment tonight, you're welcome to do so, but the project has been continued. Um, David, do we have any public comments? I do have one uh, public comment in council chambers. That would be Lynn Hoopengarner. And then you will have three minutes. I'm sorry, just as a point of order, did we approve the agenda and the minutes from the last meeting? Did we skip one of those? Am I high? <laughs> We skipped the agenda. I just want to make sure. We skipped, it. we skipped approval of the agenda, item four. Yes. Did we? Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I just oh, thank you. want to make sure no one comes yep. back to tell us we did something wrong later. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Jones. Approval of the agenda. Do we have any changes to the agenda? No. I move approval of the thank agenda. You. I'll second. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Jones. Uh, Commissioner Gregoire. Yes. Commissioner Jones. Yes. Commissioner Meadows. Yes. Commissioner Edwards. Yes. Commissioner Copeland. Yes. Vice Chair Lombardi. Yes. Chair Carvalero. 
Yes. And the agenda for uh, August, October 19th, 2023 is presented, or is approved as presented unanimously. Great. So public comment. And our first public comment will be Lynn Hoopengarner in chambers. If there is anybody on our Zoom platform that would like to speak, please star nine for me at this time. Go Good ahead, evening, Lynn. Commissioners. Um, so first of all, why am I wearing my bunny slippers? Because I promised Secretary David Gillig that I would. The first time I was back in public, I would wear my Zoom bunny slippers. And so here they are. Besides which, um, it's been a long time meme in our small town that because we are so small, we regularly have citizens running into chambers to speak a public comment after watching things on TV wearing their slippers. But I hereby submit that I'm the first person ever to actually have bunny slippers at a council meeting or a planning commission meeting. So that's for the record. Um, meanwhile, on to more serious business, I just want to bring um, up a subject that is concerning to me based upon previous uh, meetings over the years, et cetera, and this business of, of perceived or not perceived conflict and the need to recuse oneself. And I know Commissioner Caballero, you've been down this road. Um, I've been down this road in the past. Um, but I have concerns about legal making a distinction saying, well, as long as the person can say that they're gonna be objective, it's good enough. Well, which case is that true for? When is it okay? When is it no? There is a conflict. You are affiliated with X and they have, you know, a position Y on this item. Um, therefore, the appropriate action would be to recuse yourself. This obviously um, needs a little bit more exploration perhaps, but I just wanted to bring my concerns to the fore. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. And Chair Lynn is our last public speaker. Good evening, Chair Carvalero, Vice Chair Lombardi, and members of the West Hollywood Planning Commission, Nick Marisich, Director of Community Development, and I do have a couple of updates for you this evening. Uh, on Monday of this week, the City Council approved the historic designation of the Gil Turner's Liquor Store, which is at Sunset and Doheny. Uh, Council also took actions related to the Dockless Mobility Program, including an action to extend the existing pilot program through December 31st of this year, and implementing a second phase to proceed under a revised operating agreement for an 18-month term that will start on January 1st, 2024. Uh, and finally, on Tuesday of this week, our Building and Safety Division held its first staff training for the next phase of our seismic retrofit program. The training was focused on the concrete and st steel buildings uh, that are uh, a focus in the retrofit ordinance, and we had 26 participants attending. And that concludes my report for tonight. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any questions? None? Thank you. Um, consent calendar, calendar number eight, we have none. Um, on item nine, public hearing, section one, projects subject to the Housing Accountability Act. As I mentioned before, this item, which is an 89-unit, 100% affordable multifamily residential building, has been continued to Thursday, November 16th, 2023. So that takes us to our um, 
item 10a the planning commission will consider a recommendation to the city council to amend the zoning ordinance to revise existing landscape standards and establish new tree canopy requirements for privately owned properties and i believe we have a staff report from michael barker or, or rick abramson thank you good evening chair vice chair and commissioners uh, rick abramson city architect and I manage the Urban Design and Architecture Studio. With me is Michael Barker, our project architect in the Urban Design and Architecture Studio. Um, and also available as a resource will be uh, Jennifer Alkire, our current uh, Historic Preservation Planning Manager, and Francisco Contreras, our Long Range Planning Manager. Um, should uh, questions arise, they're here to help out as well. So tonight before you, uh, is something we're excited to bring forward, the Tree Canopy Landscape Standards uh, Ordinance. This is something that uh, has been in the works for the last couple of uh, years. There we go. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's been a great deal of effort put into this. Uh, on the surface, it may seem like a very simple ordinance to uh, uh, define certain terms and uh, develop certain standards uh, to lay out the tree policy for the future of the city. But in reality, it's somewhat complex. There's a lot of nuances that most likely we'll get into this evening. So a little bit of background. Uh, the staff report has a greater detail, but uh, this started with a direction from the city council to uh, develop the ordinance to require um, replacement of tree canopies in particular that are removed and then requirements for new trees themselves. Uh, this stemmed from uh, actions that were seen primarily in multifamily zones where uh, there's been a demonstrable loss of canopy trees without replacement. And I think that's what was somewhat driving this. but. Um, in addition to that, uh, this was limited to a study just on private property. We have a separate uh, document, the Urban Forestry Management Plan, that's uh, governing all our street trees that's under the purview of the Public Facilities Commission, and they've been monitoring uh, the street, street tree and park uh, portions on public land. So tonight we're just here to talk about private property. Um, just want to remind everybody that, uh, you know, the environment and our responsibility for the environment is one of the core values of the city. Uh, it's, it's stated we only have seven of them. And so the fact that this is one of seven uh, sort of elevates the importance of this conversation of sort of protecting and balancing our built natural environments so they can work in conjunction with each other. And that was sort of the intent of this effort. Uh, it was not to stop construction. It was not to... Uh, limit development rights. It was really to find a balance between nature and the built environment, and that's how we approached it. Uh, so the purpose intent is, uh, as you've heard, we're now into the implementation phase of the city's climate action and adaptation plan. And so green space and trees are an important part of that plan, so this is very much in line with that. Secondly, uh, as you're also very well aware, uh, the state uh, provisions for housing in particular have um, put forward certain objective standard requirements and so we wanted to make sure that any updates that we do 
um, are clear and, and uh, help all those in the process with an understanding of the expectations and the intent of uh, these provisions. And then lastly, uh, we also were mindful of some of the other goals for sustainability and resilience going forward, looking at urban heat and resource management, uh, health of soil, uh, and encouraging a healthy and vibrant and robust ecosystem and a biodiverse uh, tree inventory. All of these are really essential to life as we know it, and so, uh, you know, the, without careful thought about how to integrate these things, we really won't have very healthy cities. So, there's been much discussion, uh, much science through the years on the effects of climate change, and in particular, uh, rising temperatures, impaired air quality, diminished water resources, and uh, unchecked erosion of soil are all things that are intertwined in one way or another with the question of trees in cities. And, you know, I think from a basis, we have to understand trees are assets. Uh, they can be valued. In fact, we do value them when they're removed. Um, there is a valuation placed on them, and it, it gets into the tens and tens of millions of dollars in the city. Uh, in terms of their value, and so as assets, we appreciate them for their climate and resilient properties. Um, they obviously help to um, clean the air and remove harmful CO2. They help us deal with pollutants and particulates. Um, and in particular, studies have shown how they good tree canopy can reduce the temperature, local microclimate, uh, and that's why when we see communities that are heavily treed, when you watch the morning news, their temperatures are lower than adjacent areas that don't have them. Um, on a sustainability side, uh, certainly well-designed housing that we're all supportive of, that integrates passive design and carefully placed trees, it's shown that you can reduce your annual energy consumption by up to 34%. Um, other research has shown how it affects stormwater, uh, and then the intangibles on the civic, economic, and social side. Um, there's been a lot of studies that look at trees and their direct relationship to uh, health and recovery, uh, and even economics that studies are showing that people spend more money in, in commercial areas that have more trees, interestingly. So we took a look at West Hollywood specific, and uh, it's interesting, this, this map was prepared by the tree people in conjunction with uh, some researchers at Cam uh, Chapman College. And it was rather revealing, and it shows that our primary uh, tree canopy in private property and land use is in our single-family zones, primarily the West Hollywood West area, and then a little pocket to the east towards uh, Greenacre and Poinsettia, and then a small pocket south of Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, near Crescent Heights, but it, it's, it's interesting how in the highest density areas of the city, um, we have the lowest amount of canopy trees, and in some areas, uh, alarmingly low, way below what are considered um, normal levels by the experts. Uh, and in fact, the, the uh, experts 
have advised that uh, the ideal um, range that we should look at for a normal uh, tree canopy in the city is about 28% coverage and that the aspirational goal would be about 30% coverage. Uh, but it's interesting to contrast uh, even adjacent, obviously Beverly Hills is a different topography and a different land use, so it's not a direct one-to-one -one comparison, but, um, but all that dark green is high tree canopy and uh, it changes the minute you get to the West Hollywood uh, border. So there's some work to be done, I think, on the side of replacement and continuing to enhance and build the inventory wherever possible. And so a healthy tree canopy, which uh, in West Hollywood, as I mentioned, is found more in the single-family zones. This is a, a typical aerial view in the single-family zone. And what we'll notice is that the majority of the canopy trees on private property are actually in the rear yards more than anything else. Some of the front yards setbacks have uh, some robust canopy trees as well, but uh, I think the majority would be found more in the rear yards. But then when we look at the uh, multifamily zones, it's quite different. Um, that, that changes pretty dramatically, and the majority of the green space is really the street trees, um, and these levels are well below what is considered acceptable. Um, the other thing that came out of the research is that only 7% of the city's uh, public parks and street trees, uh, or I should say 7% of the city's canopy is in the public parks and street trees. So uh, a suggestion that we should look to our parkways and parks to solve the problem, that's only 7%, uh, and that's not gonna get us uh, where we need to be, uh, ideally in the 28 to 30% range. And when we think about uh, trees, I think we want to expand the conversation to really understand we, we should really be talking about an ecosystem because what's happening below the ground is just as important as what's happening above the ground because a lot of the life cycle of living beings are based on what's underground and what, you know, foragers and birds eat. Uh, and so uh, suggestions that we could just, you know, live with potted plants on uh, co concrete decks is just not a, a forward-thinking solution. That canopy trees founded in native soil, you know, actual earth, um, are what is really fueling our ecosystem. And that is also what was driving some of these suggestions and recommendations. And so the approach we took is, um, based on the city's core values that we start with trying to maintain what we have. So if we can preserve and keep what we have in place first, that's the optimum. But if that's not possible, then we look to, uh, can we at least relocate the tree if there's new construction or other reasons through redevelopment uh, that it has to move, can we at least reloc relocate it? Because that tree is an asset, it has value, and ideally, it would be better to relocate it. If that's not feasible, then we look at removal. And in many, many, many cases, that is going to happen in the majority of cases, I would say, because mature trees are very difficult to relocate. 
they have to be at a certain age in their growth cycle and a certain size and so when it's you know an older tree it will not survive certain trees go into shock there are many reasons why a tree can't just simply be relocated and i think in my experience and in what we've researched um, it's it's going to be far more often than not that removal is actually going to be the result not relocation but at least from a policy perspective we wanted to have sort of a hierarchical approach that's based on trying to keep what we can there think of it as an asset and integrate it into uh, a design and especially at single family um, where the majority of our trees are right now on private property uh, instead of just immediately clearing the site and starting over uh, when it's possible to be able to integrate a tree and have a living room or a dining room that looks out to a mature tree that's not necessarily a bad thing that's not a detriment and so um, some of the language that is in here is is related to that type of uh, uh, thought process um, so the objective design standards as we've talked about are something that uh, are important to clarify and manage the expectations and then when we get to uh, the final result whether it's maintaining trees or new trees we really want to encourage what we call restorative and regenerative strategies so that means that there are trees that have a higher leaf density that can host uh, nesting and foraging for animals that uh, provides shade from urban heat that provides an ecosystem underground that the fact that that tree is there it's making a positive impact and it's not just a decorative element uh, that has been provided so there, this is not without challenges and uh, in particular, we're, we're up against some physical realities. We have uh, higher and higher buildings, especially with new housing, where we've gone from uh, a general plan that envisioned two to four stories to now anywhere from four to seven stories, depending on the type of project and the bonuses that may be available. So we're in a new era, but that's also causing challenges for, for example, fire prevention and fire rescue, um, how we, how the, the fire department uh, ladders and accesses buildings. Uh, sometimes trees are in conflict, and there's been ongoing discussion with the fire department because um, the regular policy has been to remove street trees. And if street trees are, you know, a chunk of our tree canopy and then the other chunk are in our uh, private property yards, the removing of the street trees is going to be exceedingly detrimental to the city. Uh, the other challenge we have is that SCE has many, many of their power lines right over the parkways where our street trees are. And the city has very little control over how those trees are trimmed or kept. So you'll see this condition quite often. In fact, even worse, sometimes they're trimmed remarkably surprising, let's just say. Um, you kind of scratch your head. Uh, but we're seeing very severe uh, tree trimming by SCE, and that's really their, 
purview to do that so we have very little control so these are all the challenges and i'm sort of setting the tone for you know the direction we went and why so it's got to be a balance of both public and private space and we also have to acknowledge how development has changed and here are three sort of visions through three decades that show on the same size property a very different approach right and so on the left in the twenty's and forty's we saw a lot of bungalow courts that many times had very little or no parking so it allowed for very lush and green gardens to be integrated into the housing itself sort of mid-century post-war and beyond we saw greater density so it would go up in height and we had some landscaping but now the car becomes a primary element of the site plan and the site development and it starts to change and now we're in the post two thousands and here's an example of a similar sized lot similar configuration but because of whether it was parking requirements or lack of landscape standards we'll see developments like this where we have you know sort of an unfortunate result from a environmental standpoint even if it's a successful result from a housing density standpoint and so it goes back to that balance that i was talking about that we're trying to achieve here so this has gone through as i said about a two-year process with many many different types of engagement interaction and opportunities to engage both internally within city staff we formed what we called our green team and so multiple divisions we're working in conjunction with each other to advance these ideas. We've had two symposia, one that was specifically on the role of trees in urban settings, and then another one on the pops and parts that talked about green space within privately owned property. We've also had to coordinate with LA County. They have their own goals and tree standards which aren't necessarily the same as ours but we wanted to see how it lined up. We've been to the Chamber of Commerce a couple of times and also worked with what we were calling a kitchen cabinet group which were open meetings to the community but we invited a number of representatives from all different walks and perspectives and backgrounds both business and development community, academia, design professionals, and it was and community members. I should say that should be up there because we had several community members, and it was a it was a wonderful process with a lot of open and engaging conversation about goals and priorities and possibilities to achieve them. There was also a long range planning subcommittee hearing. We did sit down with West Hollywood Tree Preservation Society. They've been a very vocal group for the last decade. Wanted to make sure they were engaged. And then the chamber again. So what's before you tonight are a series of updates and new definitions and new standards to consider. We've also put in references into the code in the suggested language that refers back to our public space and some of the work that's being done on the street trees and parks as well as the existing LA County oak tree regulations which we follow as well.
So uh, on the definition side, there are some new definitions that came up through the, the process where we were encouraged to develop some of these new definitions. We also updated some others. On the standard side, I think the big move was to clarify a very uh, understandable structure where we start with preservation, move to relocation, then to replacement, and then to removal. And so there's hopefully specific standards that we can discuss tonight that addresses each of these processes and, and how you go from one to the next to the next. And then there's a few um, other standards that uh, are, I guess we could call um, cleanup or clarification that are included as well. Uh, we looked a little bit closer at uh, permeable surface requirements and um, the size of tree boxes and soil, soil mix and things like that as well. Okay, so um, proposed in the definition section, uh, this sort of lists some of the newer ones. They are outlined in the staff report and we can go over any specific ones you may have questions about. Uh, I think the, the new term of art that's now in there that we're suggesting is qualified tree expert and there was a lot of discussion about, well, who makes the determination if a tree is uh, sick or infested, diseased, um, can be relocated or not. And this was something that was advised from uh, our city arborists in particular. They've, they've suggested that uh, a certified qualified tree expert, there's two agencies that can do this would be the appropriate ones who have the knowledge base and the sort of ethical training to take this on. So that's a new term. Um, we also found in the existing code that it went back and forth between referring to mature trees and canopy trees and designated trees and protected trees. And we wanted to clean that up a little bit so that it's discernible and understandable by anybody who may uh, read the code. And then the vegetative roof is something that staff recognized needed greater clarity based on implementation of some of our sustainable roof measures that have been going on over the last couple years. And uh, vegetative roofs are not necessarily common to many who build. And so we just wanted to make sure that we were clarifying that there are two types and that these in fact are not just greened decorated roofs, but they're part of an assembly. They're part of the, the system of the building that helps to keep it cool and um, uh, deals with thermal performance of the building. And so we clarified that, hopefully, um, a little bit more. And so I mentioned that there are these four segments, and we wanted to um, help the commission and the community understand. Uh, and if you think of it as more of a yes-no flow chart, you know, the starting is, if, if there is an existing mature tree in place, um, what happens? You know, yes or no, and then how that works, uh, whether it's uh, something that is going to stay in place or it's going to be relocated or removed, and in each case, whether the, which standards would apply in which situation. So for removal, relocation, and replacement, uh, there was 
really no language about relocation in the current code. There was language about removal. Uh, and the only real uh, change there, the most significant, was uh, that rear yards in single family and duplexes were exempted from pulling a permit. So there was the potential for loss of our most common area for trees without any awareness. And so the recommendation is that uh, we should have a permit for all removal of all trees. So this is something that can be monitored uh, and especially don't exempt the one area where the majority of our trees on private property are. So that was one cleanup. Um, and then the relocation, it's, it's new language, and it talks about a few steps of um, having helped by a qualified tree expert to determine whether it would survive or not. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's more often than not going to be very difficult to relocate trees. But we wanted to at least have language in the code where it is possible that that is an option if a property owner elects to do it. We had to have standards for that. So we needed language in there. And then the replacement, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. The big difference is that there's now a, an objective standard for a minimum box size that is identified. Um, I will say that many in the tree advocacy side of things felt this was too small, that if we're removing mature trees, we should replace with more mature trees. But in consulting with the arborists, their point of view was that if you plant a tree a little bit younger, it will root quicker and actually grow faster and become acclimated to its climate better than a more mature tree, which may not always survive um, coming from the nursery. So this was their recommendation to us, but we're open to other thoughts on that if, if it does need to go bigger. Um, but this was what was recommended. And then we get to the new, new canopy tree requirements, and there's going to be two different uh, approaches, one that deals with residential parcels and one that deals with commercial. Um, that has to be done because of the different nature of the physical reality of these sites and the setbacks and what's available. So on the residential side, you know, L.A. County and many other jurisdictions do tree requirements based on lot area. But because of state density bonus law and other reasons, we felt that it's sort of impractical to do it just on lot area, that we really need something that's more tailored to the actual open space that's available. So we're recommending to base the number of trees on required setbacks or yards, because then we have an open space that is a reasonable area to base it on that still allows um, a developer, say, in a new project to integrate canopy trees elevated. You know, they can be in a courtyard if they're in certain size tree, tree wells. But uh, this is at least the basis that we felt was a more appropriate one-to-one -one match of realistically achievable area. So we have a sort of sliding scale where the more yard area you have, the more possibility for canopy trees, so it accelerates um, if you have a single lot versus a double lot versus a triple lot, which you often see 
that developers will accumulate more than one parcel. So we've taken that into account. And then if we move to commercial, the way that uh, canopy trees can be integrated into commercial contexts uh, are very different. They can be in courtyards around outdoor dining. They can be on rooftops or elevated terraces. Uh, this was something that came out of the symposium. There was a lot of discussion uh, about these different opportunities in commercial spaces, which are not necessarily the same in residential. So when we looked at the commercial recommendation, whoops, sorry about that. Uh, we uh, opted to go for a gross site area um, uh, option with a minimum landscaped area. So it would allow for smaller parcels not to be overly penalized, but also acknowledge that larger parcels, if developers amass 25,000 square feet, it can accommodate a lot more than a small parcel can accommodate. Um, and again, on this one, we've added provisions for elevated solutions. Um, many of you are familiar with restoration hardware. You know, they have olive trees on their roof and rather robust, uh, uh, successful trees. So it's certainly possible if thought through in advance to integrate even trees um, on an upper level if the desire is to build out to the property lines. So uh, we had to consider as many possibilities as possible and make it as flexible as possible. And then I'd mentioned there was some other uh, uh, provisions that we looked at, the, the soil, the uh, distance from structural walls that, that was important to clarify as well. Um, and even on that, we gave some flexibility that if a licensed structural engineer and tree expert found that planting closer to structural walls or foundations would not undermine the building, um, we added some additional uh, flexibility, but the objective standard is eight feet away. That's always um, gonna be workable for a canopy tree in proximity to a building. All right, so Staff also wanted to make a few um, recommended adjustments to the resolution based on some information received in public comment. Um, there was, uh, in section 1926.040A10B, uh, it allowed for the substitution of a tree. And I think, again, that's part of the flexibility we were trying to build into this ordinance that if hypothetically there were seven or eight trees that were required to be accommodated and it became difficult to do so, uh, that there's a way that they could substitute for some of the trees uh, and provide a, a more equivalent landscape. It might be shrubs and low-lying planting that still could be um, providing some ecological benefits, you know, foraging and other things. So, um, again, we tried to be as flexible as possible and allow for that, but the way that it was written, it was requiring that all three of these criteria were met, and in looking closer at private property, there could be some cases where there are not other mature trees, and we would still like to afford the property owner this option. So, our recommendation is to remove and strike number two, in this particular section on replacement. 
and then another suggestion has to do with canopy tree definition and sort of drilling down into what they are and how they work and why they're important and we felt that it was important to strike one particular line and clean up some other language but there was a provision in there that talked about trees that are tall in structure as opposed to wide or preferred and certainly in multifamily where it's five or six story building and a smaller yard, yes, a taller tree is preferred to a wider tree but I don't think it needs to be in the code as a one size fits all. We're perfectly fine with wider trees when they can be accommodated so we're suggesting to strike that language as well. So with that, that completes the staff presentation. We know there's a lot to talk about. We're excited to hear the commentary tonight from the public and we're here to answer questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Questions for staff? Who wants to go first? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Chair. So, quick question. Throughout the attachment B, it's referenced that we would now be requiring a zone clearance for the relocation or removal of a tree. Is that standard practice right now? It's my understanding that that's typically handled with the development permit. That is actually the language in the code right now that it says that trees removed require a zone clearance. We did discuss and debate whether that's the ideal language because trees can be removed with a development permit. You're correct, Commissioner. If it's a more comprehensive project, oftentimes it can be part of that, but if I'm misstating, maybe Jennifer might want to clarify that, but that's my understanding. Right now, the language says zone clearance. Well, right now, the language says zone clearance, but presently, if someone were to want to relocate a tree, would they be required to exercise a zone clearance and able to do so, in order to do so? Yes, the way it's written, they would be asked to get a zone clearance. Before the changes? Before the changes. I'm seeing otherwise. Jennifer, do you want to clarify? Good evening. At present, the way the code is written, it does have the language that says zone clearance is required to remove a tree. However, the way that we apply the code in the current practice is that if there is another form of permit that would take the place of a zone clearance, so if there's a development permit for a brand new building, it includes the removal of a tree, we would not require an additional zone clearance in current practice. The way that the code is written with this new ordinance, it is a little more clear that it would require, even in that instance, it would require a zone clearance, so it would just be an additional permit that would be included in the demolition permit, development permit, conditional use permit, whatever else is on that project, it would all be put together. So the language is similar, but how we would operationalize this in practice is different, because we would no longer be 
allowing them to just simply outline it in a development permit, we would now require a standalone zone uh, clearance for every occurrence. Right, and it, it wouldn't be standalone, it would be processed exactly as it is now. It would just be, it's because the language is more specific that it requires a zone clearance even in those cases, we would, we would interpret it differently, yes. Okay, well, is there a reason why we would want to change that process? Like practically? Um, no, the, the way that it works now is fine. There's no reason for it to have its own standalone permit. I think the reason that the language was in there um, is to just make it very clear that there is a specific entitlement associated with it versus having it be a generic um, entitlement or permit language in there. Um, and that's something that we went, we went through um, with the city attorney's office to get the best read on that language, so um, you know, we, can, we can always continue to try to refine that, um, but that's where we ended up. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a couple of additional questions. Um, what are the implications of this ordinance for our ability as a city to follow state housing laws, specifically pertaining to uh, property owners by right ability to produce an ADU or a JADU? on their property. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. Um, the intent of this is not to preclude anything with respect to housing. We, we are advocates for, supporters, and the city has always been a leader in the production of housing, and this is not intended to do anything to preclude housing. As I mentioned earlier, it's about balancing the natural and the built environment. And what has happened is that the pendulum has swung to the built environment to the expense of the natural because lacking development standards, we cannot require, even when there's room and there's no conflict with housing, we cannot require, in many instances, trees to be replaced. And so with an ADU, for example, um, if there was a tree in a rear yard and someone wanted to do an ADU and it's where the ADU is located, the tree would be removed to accommodate it. The difference is we would ask for it to be replaced. Whereas right now, it would just be removed. Mm -hmm. um, another question. The staff report references that there was outreach to a kitchen cabinet, and that's a quote, advisory group. Um, for transparency's sake, I'm wondering if you could outline who specifically was included in that kitchen cabinet and what was done uh, to notice neighborhood groups or uh, residents to be able to access the meeting that you hosted. Uh, you got me on the spot here. I don't remember all the names of those who were there. There was uh, uh, a professor from UCLA's Institute of the Environment and uh, Sustainability. We had a couple of uh, landscape architect uh, professionals uh, from our own community. I recall Victor Elmachenko and Mike Carter. Um, I'm going to miss some people. Uh, uh, yeah, there was a number of folks. I just don't have that list in front of me right now. Was, was the notice uh, was the meeting publicly noticed? Uh, well, it wasn't so a Brown Act meeting or anything like that. No, so it wasn't. It didn't go through a citywide notice. Was it on the city calendar? I believe so, but I I honestly can't recall that. Okay. Yeah. No further questions at this time. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Any other questions? I have just a few Thank questions. Yep. Thank you. 
Um, you know, one question I have while reading through the um, both the staff report and the very beginning of the resolution, there's there's some notes about um, front yard setbacks and also I think some of the um, city's overarching objectives. But the actual text and that I'm reading, I'm not seeing any reference to front yards. So not to answer the question for you, but I guess I'm wondering, is it because it all goes back to the ratios of trees in yards in general? Or what is the, how are we meeting the requirements for front yards as well in terms of what your objectives you're trying to achieve since it was stated in the staff report and in the beginning of the resolution? Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. I think the reason that front yards were highlighted is that in the current version, rear yards were exempted. So front yards were identified in order to distinguish them from rear yards. In this new proposed language, we're trying to remove that distinction because, as I mentioned, a good majority of our existing stock are in rear yards. And so we just want to make sure that there's equivalent treatment of all trees, whether they're on a commercial property, residential, front yard, rear yard, on the ground, in the sky, you know, that we want to really just make a declarative statement about their value, their importance, and their need to be integrated and thought about as part of balancing nature and built environments. Okay, thank you. And then one question, and, and this is where perhaps I could have done a little bit more research on our current code since the, the lens that we're looking at here is specifically the changes that we're making, but um, I guess my question would be there's, it's pretty clear what happens if um, there's a development agreement or some other sort of entitlement or, or other process that's happening and then what that would mean with regards to trees and tree canopies and what the requirements are. But what if an individual is simply looking to um, complete some new work in their rear yard or in their front yard and they want to remove a tree or there's a tree issue? I guess it wasn't clear to me with these changes what that means if it's in a more informal process. Well, the depends obviously on the scenario, but uh, hypothetically if somebody wanted to re-landscape, for example, change the look of their front or rear yard, and there was an existing tree, I think our position would be that is a valuable asset and it should be worked around, right? You should add new trees in conjunction with it or you should do planting in conjunction with it, but work with the existing tree. If, if there's some hazard, if it's un uprooting piping, sewer connections, uh, if it's infested, you know, other, other things, it can be removed. And the difference is now we're saying replace it. Okay. Um, I, I guess it's a little bit more the process doesn't naturally happen as, as quickly on something like that in terms of all the normal triggers, but I'm just trying to understand how it applies in a, you know, someone that just wants to do some work. But I understand that the code is a little more clear on the intent now. Um, unrelated question. Um, the resolution also has some information about relocating trees and understanding that our objective is to increase tree canopy in the city of West Hollywood. I was wondering, did you look at um, did you look at the possibility that it's required that the trees are replaced in the city of West Hollywood so that 
you know, if it's being relocated, it's actually, you know, having an impact locally. And further to that, maybe there's a, some way to develop a type of program or something. I don't know how common it will be to relocate trees, but I'm sure that no one really wants to have to navigate that if the city's requiring it. And maybe there's a way that they could kind of create a foster system or something like that. So that's my question there is what, why doesn't it um, specifically, you know, reference the city of West Hollywood when you're relocating? Where do these trees go? Yes, thank you. Um, the way it was set up is that the optimum place to relocate is on the same site because it's already acclimated, obviously, to that, that environment and that location. Um, but we realized that that's not always feasible. So um, alternative sites are, are fine. Obviously, if there's room in our parks or other things, uh, that would be preferable. But sometimes there are uh, other reasons why it can't necessarily be local. So again, because this is uh, an ordinance that has to work for so many scenarios, we wanted to leave enough flexibility that no one's locked in where they must relocate and they can't find a site, what do they do, right? So I think that's where we're trying to find a middle ground. Um, but obviously, on the site is preferred. Okay, thank you. I may have more, more thoughts on that with um, comments later. Um, just because you mentioned it during the staff report, do we know who's trimming the trees um, when SCE is, is trimming? And I guess my question is, are they simply doing something that's not aesthetically pleasing, or are we seeing instances where they may actually be causing harm to the tree where it could be a danger, for example, because it's not structurally well supported anymore? Uh, well, Helen Collins, our facilities and field services manager here, and she uh, probably can give you more insight because she handles this city's uh, public tree trimming programs, but we don't necessarily uh, govern SCE, but I think she could provide insight on what she's observing when SCE um, does their work because she gets the phone calls. Um, S I mean, SCE comes out and they trim the trees um, to um, minimize their risk to the power lines. Um, so they, they do trim differently than we do. We trim to the ISA standards. Um, we are working closely with them to try to get them to come along with our standards, but um, it's hard to say if it would damage the tree, because a lot of these trees, if they're big enough that SEs wanting to come in and remove them from the power lines, are pretty big trees. Um, so it would take a long time to determine if poor, tr poor trimming or trimming issues, and, and I'm not saying they're doing poor trimming, but it, trimming issues would cause a problem. Um, so it, it, it all depends on each situation. And, I know they do come along and they trim our, the tree, city trees as well, but we try to work with them. Private property trees, it's between them and the property owner, so we don't really get too involved. And I, I don't know how many private property trees are dealing with because, again, um, the power lines are normally not running through backyards. Um, front yards, yes, but not backyards as much. So it's, it's kind of a case-by-case case on those. Okay, I appreciate your insight. I was trying to understand how much of a grasp the city had on, on the situation and if and we you know what proactive measures were, were being taken. Thank you. I mean, we are working with them, SE, um, but again, sometimes they do come in and, and trim and we're not aware, but um, as a whole, we are starting to work with them more. 
frequently on making sure they're staying within the standards as much as possible. There it goes. Thank you. Um, you know, another question I, I have, Rick, um, deciduous versus non-deciduous trees, is there a reason why um, that was maybe not made as a specific requirement? Yeah, um, I know that was brought up uh, in one of the uh, comments, and I think we're open to um, the Commission's thoughts on this. I can share with you that um, for, you know, nesting and wildlife um, harboring, uh, obviously, the more uh, the more non-deciduous, the better. Um, but then there are situations, say, on the south side of a building where uh, there's certain seasons that certain exposures might benefit from deciduous trees. So if it's if it's planted for um, passive environmental performance, it's a little bit different than if it's planted for harboring wildlife, for example. So I think we would hope that we could work with applicants on a case-by-case -case basis to encourage more non-deciduous or deciduous, depending on the context, where the trees would be located and for what purpose. Um, and hope we wouldn't need a, a standard that says, you know, 50% of your trees must be of each, but we're definitely open to that if there's concerns about it. I see, okay, thank you. Is that something that could maybe be clarified a little bit more in terms of intent and preferences or benefits in, in, in a guide or some other sort of document? Yeah, absolutely, and in fact, one of the things that came out of the kitchen cabinet discussion specifically was a number of, um, uh, I call them elevating community awareness activities, and I think that would be one of them if we could uh, continue to develop a website through our uh, environmental uh, responsiveness efforts that the studio and our long-range planning division are undertaking. Uh, we could certainly emphasize uh, not only why trees, but where and in what type and what context and help to educate more. Okay, thank you, and one last question. I was wondering, um, Looking at the at the resolution, it gets pretty specific about uh, the various scales of requirements on residential zoning districts with regards to number of canopy trees required. In the commercial zoning districts, it says one tree for every 6,000 square feet. So what is the intent if you have a 4,000 square foot lot, lot or area that at that point, it, it seems like it might not be clear if any tree would be required the way it's written now. Yeah, thank you for that, pointing that out. I think the intent is that there be one tree up to 6,000, and so if we need to clarify that language, if, if based on the fraction or being underneath, if we need to wordsmith it to be a little bit more explicit, I think that's definitely the intent. We want one tree for the first 6,000. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Jones, you're next. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to beg ignorance on this because I've been a renter in this city for 18 years. What rules or policies are currently in place that would prevent someone from, a property owner from removing a tree, like one of the trees in question, whether or not they were going to develop something or not? 
I'm asking this because I'm curious about enforcement and monitoring in these situations and understanding that zone clearance would obviously be something that's officially required for someone to move forward with development. But I'm just wondering if there are, you know, is something in our code that would preclude someone from doing that without getting permission from the city first right now? Um, perhaps I could have Jennifer address that more specifically in terms of the daily practice of uh, pulling permits for removing trees. Um, there are provisions in the code right now that do lay out the standards for removing a tree. and. They're very similar to what is proposed. Um, but the one exception, I believe, is in the rear yards of single family and duplexes. That, that doesn't currently require a permit, so we would not know if those were removed. But let me have Jennifer clarify that. Okay. 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 Also, I may be opening up a Pandora's box here, but I, I think it is something worth addressing. Was there any discussion, uh, as you have studied this, about potentially having a fee that people could pay into, kind of like we do for housing, like with an in-lieu fee, whereby there would be some kind of a fund that people could pay into, rather than, you know, if, that, if other things just weren't an option, or maybe giving people more options, whereby there would be something like a tree fund? I think that's something that, if the commission wants to be explored, we could look at that. We do have in-lieu fees for other situations. Um, in this case, I would say though that the, the asset of getting the tree is probably more valuable than the money sometimes. Sure. And, and I think that whatever fund would be created, uh, it would be hard for us to have it apply to private property trees. So it would go into parks and street trees, which we already have a planting program in place for that. But um, if the commission would like us to explore that, I think we can we can look into the possibility of that option. Okay, I haven't like fully kind of fleshed that out in my mind, it was just a thought. Okay, those are all my questions right now, thank you. Commissioner Gregoire. Um, I'm still confu I'm confused with what we're proposing with respect, respect to mature canopy trees. The proposed ordinance says existing can mature canopy trees shall be preserved in place, and there's only very limited exceptions to that. Uh, and then elsewhere it says, designing a new structure around a mature tree because it's an inconvenience does not necessarily constitute a hardship. What are we saying here with respect to mature canopy trees? Are, can they be removed? Under what circumstance can they be removed? And I, it, maybe I ask that question along with a hypothetical. You know, say hy hypothetically, one of our city's goals is to uh, create affordable housing, and an affordable housing developer comes along and acquires two single-family homes that have eight beautiful mature canopy trees on that property. Um, we can't preserve those eight beautiful, healthy canopy trees and still build the affordable housing. That's right. Project. Um, would this proposed ordinance actually prevent the, the development of that affordable housing project in that circumstance? In that circumstance and in any new development circumstance, the intent is not to preclude the housing from being built. If it's needed to remove it for construction reasons, then that is one of those um, reasons to remove a tree. 
we came up with a list of other reasons outside of construction that we tried to make as comprehensive as possible to cover when we're not in a in a situation where somebody is developing a property but i think it may seem like a short list but i would almost flip it upside down and say in what circumstance would we want to say it's it's okay to remove it for any reason right for and so the the term inconvenience is used because that's sort of the for any reason just say you want to remove it you can remove it right so i think we're trying to we're mandated to come up with some objective standards this is the needle we're trying to thread and so we try to come up with certain things that apply to non development situations and then the when construction is underway that's another condition that trees can be removed so it we're i guess i just see the language of the proposed ordinance and i it seems pretty pretty explicit can a mature canopy tree shall be preserved in place where in the ordinance does it give us the ability to say okay notwithstanding that statement we could remove that mature canopy tree to to build that affordable housing project so under page three of the resolution section 9b it says notwithstanding the community development director may determine that the removal of a tree is necessary to carry out construction I'm sorry, page three of the strike through version. Um, is, uh, thank you. Uh, is necessary to carry out construction in compliance with fire code, building codes, and any other applicable life safety requirements or applicable standards. And a replacement in that situation is provided in accordance with that subsection. Okay, I, I, I guess I was reading that section as being more narrow. Like, it's not the best verbiage, I agree with you. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it isn't the best. Is there any way we could make that clearer? Absolutely, if the commission so desires, we could explore better language. That's all for now. Commissioner Edwards? Oh yeah, just, <clears throat> you know, Senator, Commissioner Jones, I've been a renter my entire time here in Los Angeles, so I'm not aware of what it takes to remove a tree. And so my, um, my curiosity is also part of like developing JDUs and um, ADUs has a lot to do with costs. So is it expensive to relocate a tree or to plant a mature tree? Like, was that considered like as part of like I know, it's, I agree that's a balancing act between what we're trying to achieve, which is essential, but simultaneously trying to um, get the housing that we need, but also protect the canopy and create and add more canopy. But I do wonder if we did consider the cost, like what is that impact to somebody doing something on their property? Yeah, well, and I think the cost is, is uh, relative to the scale of what's being done, right? So if it's somebody in a backyard that wants to build a swimming pool and they want to remove a tree, okay, that would be 
a zone clearance, they would have to get a permit to do so. And what's the latest cost for a zone clearance? $120, okay? Um, conversely, if it's a $10 million project and they're having to remove a tree or even relocate a tree, then that financial cost is very different, right? And so it, it's hard to answer with specificity, but uh, relocating a tree does have some cost. It's something I've done in my experience. And we had somebody come out from a uh, nursery and they built a box and put it in temporarily. It was watered during construction. And then when the building was built, a new hole was dug and it was replanted. So it required that the contractor water it on occasion and not stack drywall and debris on it and other things. So there is a little bit of work involved, but that process in and it itself isn't super expensive. Where it gets expenses, if it's a very large tree and you're trucking it 100 miles to a special nursery or some other place, um, that, that can be of greater expense. But that's why I was saying earlier that the optimum is when you can find another location on site because you can stage the construction around it and make accommodations. It's not, it's not terribly expensive. Just to follow up, when you say not terribly expensive, that's a subjective statement. And so are you talking about 2,000, 10,000, 20,000, just an average, I'm not just curious. If that was even I, I really can't give you a number, but it would be the cost to have somebody dig it out and box it, and then the labor to water it over time. So it it could be anywhere from the size of the tree, I don't know, 1000 to $2,000 probably to do a single tree, I, I would guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Trucking it would be much more. Commissioner Matos? Thank you, Chair. I actually had a, one more question, but I do want to piggyback off of uh, Commissioner's comments just now. Um, if there was a, a private property that had by right ability to build an ADU or JADU per state law, and the cost of craning a tree to an alternative side of the property was cost prohibitive of them building that, would we be in direct conflict with state law? I'm gonna turn that one over to Isaac. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Meadows, it's a good question. I don't know that it's directly addressed by state law. There is language certainly in state law regarding, as you mentioned, by right ADUs and JADUs. The city can certainly enforce its own objective standards that aren't in violation with those laws. And then the sort of um, sticky standard under state law is regarding um, standards that make it practically infeasible to construct an ADU. But generally, so long as it's consistent with state standards, the city can impose its own uh, objective standards that aren't in conflict. Uh, and, and that includes uh, certain costs or uh, other requirements associated associated with the build. But there is sort of a catch-all language, like in many state housing laws, that emphasize that it needs to be uh, uh, physically possible to construct the, the housing unit, in this case, the ADU. Got it. I guess what I'm getting at is a little bit to Commissioner Edwards' point and Commissioner Gregoire's point is, I'm 
I'm interested to know, I guess from our city attorney, do these standards put us in direct conflict under certain practical, executable circumstances with state housing law? My impression is that these are objective standards that are qualifiable. There's certainly a, a degree of um, uh, discretion afforded the city team to enforce those objective standards, but I believe they are objective as currently drafted in the code and therefore consistent with uh, the spirit and intent of the existing state housing laws. Okay. Um, let me ask one more question. There's a section of um, this attachment B, um, specifically page four, number 10, replacement of mature trees. Um, it mentions that the community development director may use their discretion to allow for the replacement uh, of the tree or relocation of the tree or, you know, substitutions essentially. Um, that as it's written, what I'm understanding, as it's written right now being proposed in front of us, the community development director can only use that discretion if a qualified tree expert makes, now there are two of those findings. Is that standard practice for the community development director's discretion to be at the behest of an external expert which may have a subjective opinion? I would say the intent of the regulations, although certainly to the extent there are um, uh, considerations from the commission for staff to look into the, the process a bit more, but I would say the intent of the existing standards and the, the director's role is to look at a series of objective standards both within the ordinance itself and qualified by uh, a tree expert as defined sort of pursuant to the ordinance and then make a judgment call based on what should be sort of um, objective considerations associated with the standards that are codified. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? In regards to... Uh, oh, Chair, I just wanted to note that uh, Commissioner Copeland has a raised hand on the... Oh, on the okay. Commissioner Copeland. Um, most of my questions have, have been uh, asked and answered, I think, but uh, there are a few. Um, going back to Commissioner Lombardi's question about the, um, under 9C, 1926-040, the suitable off-site location on private property as far as the um, replacement. Is there any reason why that could not also include public property, say if there was not a private property close by that was feasible, but say there was a, one of our parks or school or something that could accommodate, is there any reason why we're precluded from um, including uh, public and it just has to be private? Thank you, Commissioner. I'm going to ask uh, Helen Collins to address that as uh, their division would be the recipient of that tree if that were the case.
I think in some situations we may entertain it. However, um, the city's pretty, uh, we're pretty planted out in our public right-of-ways. I'm in our parks as well, and um, depending on the tree, I don't know that we would want to take on the liability of taking a private property tree and planting it in a public space because we don't know the history of that tree. Um, again, this would be on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, it, it would be difficult to, in, to try to impose that um, a, in many situations. I mean, if you have a lot of homes that you're going to try to impose that on, it'd be difficult to um, do that. Um, and I don't know that we would be readily um, amenable to that only because we're not sure about the history of that tree or, or it may not be a correct species or, um, you know, there's, we don't want to set up that, um, the process that we would be doing that on a regular basis because it's just not feasible. So, you know, we don't necessarily, we get a lot of, a lot of people come to us and say, I'm, I'm removing this from my uh, property, do you want it? And usually our answer is no, because um, one, it's, it may not fit in our parks or may not fit on our public right away. Um, so it would be case by case. And large trees, honestly, is, is um, uh, Mr. Abramson had mentioned, large trees don't, do not transport well, do not um, replant well. Um, so and their survival rate is, is minimal, so the city's taking on the obligation of if that tree fails. So um, I, in, in, it would have to be an extreme situation, and it'd have to be a tree that, you know, we felt we really would want to try to save, um, but uh, I don't know that we would be able to, to accommodate that often. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner, I would just add to that that the code language currently set, as proposed says that it should be re relocated on the subject property, but when infeasible, right. it can be to an other site, and we kept that open-ended. So in the instance where it is a desirable tree and it meets all the criteria to go into a park or some other location, the language allows for that right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so there's a question in the... Um, Resolution, I guess, on um, page number eight, I think it is, when it talks about, I guess, number five, nine, five. Um, it talks about the tree has been damaged to the point that it cannot recover and grow properly, or that it will grow in a misshapen or unsightly manner. Um, the previous one, number four, says it would require the condition to be verified by a qualified treat expert. Would that also ring true for number five? Talking about damage, the, that, that standard would be also um, verified by a qualified tree expert. Yeah, I think that's a very good question. The, I think the intent would be yes, it gives the community development director the authority and I would assume that if an applicant came in and said it's misshapen or it's, it, you know, it's damaged, that the director would want some verification if that's not the director's expertise. So it's sort of implied, but if the commission feels like we should outwardly state it, that it needs to be a determination by an expert, um, that's perfectly fine. Uh, okay, thank you. Um, just curious, right now, 
What are the consequences for non-compliance of our, our current standards? If, if someone were to, uh, on a multi-unit property or uh, remove a tree uh, without a permit, without a replacement, um, without any um, letter from an arborist stating that it's diseased or whatever, what, what currently do we have in place uh, for consequences, is there a fine? Is there two for one replacement? I mean, and, and moving forward, what would that be as well? Um, sure, I can answer that. The, the, the penalty would be the same as it would be for any work without a permit. So similar to somebody doing some kitchen remodeling without a building permit, they would get a citation, they would, the work would be stopped if it was still ongoing. Um, and they would be required to come in and get whatever permit is necessary for that work. So if it's a tree removal, it would be whatever permit is required for the removal of the tree, a zone clearance, or so forth. And at that point, if there is a replacement requirement, we would require them to replace it. Um, if, they're, you know, if, they, if they had backup data that shows that it was diseased or that they are replacing it with a different type of landscaping, they would re be required to do that. And um, there isn't a, a greater requirement for replacement, but there is a double fee. So <laughs> the $120 becomes $240. Uh, but that's, that's, the, that's what happens now when there's work without a permit, and uh, that would be what would happen in the future. So it would be the same. So there would be no changes moving forward as far as after, after the zone text amendment? It would be the same as what's in place now? The zone text amendment would not change how we implement code compliance, no. Okay. Um, uh, one, one other thing under the definitions, um, I noticed we talk about native soil quite a bit with trees, but there's really no specific definition for that. Is there any way to add that in just in case that's something that's not quite clear to anyone who might be subjected to these, um, to this zone? Text Amendment. Yes, I think uh, if, if the Commission feels that we need to define that as a term, um, I think the common understanding we would hope is that native soil refers to earth um, and not uh, like digging up the earth and putting it in a bucket and then planting a citrus tree or something saying it's native soil. Um, oh, replacing but, the soil. Yeah, but but uh, if if it's if it's important that it's defined, we we want to make this as clear as possible and and make sure everybody has the same expectations. But it goes back to that ecosystem diagram. That's what native okay. soil is about, right? It's where the beetles and the insects live and the earthworms. Exactly. Um, I guess it's just, I'm always looking for specificity in, in black and white, just so there's, everything is very clear, so perhaps I'm being a little overly cautious. Um, also, in a 1920-055, we're talking about canopy trees, and 4C says that the um, plan must be submitted by both a qualified tree professional. Um, Shouldn't that be, I mean, elsewhere it says qualified tree expert. Is there a difference between a qualified tree professional 
or are they interchangeable because a tree professional could be someone who what owns a business and trims trees or does is it the same thing as a qualified tree expert or should we make that uniform I'm sorry, Commissioner, where does that appear? 192805. Yeah, canopy trees that grade shall be no planted no closer. It starts with that. And then it says plans in the middle on the third line. It says plans must be submitted by both a qualified tree professional and a licensed structural engineer that can attest, et cetera, et cetera. Elsewhere, it says, instead of saying professional, it says qualified tree expert. I just wondered if that's a different term or they're interchangeable. Uh, it is a different term. That's a good Good point. Uh, a qualified tree expert would be as defined by the two agencies that govern certification, and they tend to be arborists, whereas a professional would be more like a landscape architect or some other certified landscape designer, somebody who's recognized by an entity. And the thought is that a landscape architect who's proposing a new tree working in conjunction with the structural engineer, both of them have licenses and stamps, and if they both agree that that tree can be closer than eight feet, we're fine with that. Those are both licensed professionals have liability, and that doesn't necessarily rise to the need for an arborist maybe in that situation, so that was the thinking. Okay, thank you for clarifying that for me. I appreciate it. Um, I think that's it for me at this time. Most of the questions have been asked and answered, but thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Copeland. Um, Commissioner Disclosures, do we have any? Commissioner Matos? Hey, yeah, I spoke with members of the public about matters contained in the staff report. Thank you. Commissioner Gruber, Vice Chair Lombardi. I also spoke with members of the public. Commissioner Edwards. Uh, I spoke to members of the public. I'm also on the board of Abundant Housing LA, but I want to be clear that the way the st structure is set up, I have no say in what letters go out. Thank you. We just don't have a role. We're just there for fiduciary to raise money. Thank you. Commissioner Jones. Yeah. Great. Um, I did speak to members of the public uh, about matters in the staff report. Um, David, do we have any public speakers on this item? Uh, we do, Chair. So I'd like to open the public speaker portion of this public hearing. Thank you. We're, I, we'll take uh, speakers in chambers first. If there is anybody on the Zoom platform that would like to speak on this item, please star nine for me at this time. And we're calling you at a, at a moment. Um, our first speaker in chambers will be Aaron Green. Aaron, you'll have three minutes. He will be followed by... Uh, Len Hoopengarner. Uh, good evening, Chair, Commission. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak this evening. Um, with the AFRIA Consulting Group representing a number of clients this evening, um, and I'll, I won't dive in too much to the matters uh, of my letter that are in the record, um, but I, I want to start by agreeing with, uh, with Mr. Abramson that this is 
while seemingly straightforward, pretty complicated. And um, one of the, the challenges I think that we're presented with, uh, I think there's complete agreement yeah. on the goals. None of my clients have any concerns about the goals of what's been presented tonight, sort of the first half of the presentation. Um, I think um, there's a, a, in our opinion, and some of this was outlined in, in my letter of yesterday, um, there's a, a disconnect or a lack of specificity that bridges the, the space between the goals and what the language before you this evening says. Um, is, as Commissioner Greg Waugh pointed out, the, the language before you this evening is pretty prescriptive, um, or at least descriptive in the intention of where staff is supposed to interpret this. When we think about a day-to-day, -day, on a day-to-day -day basis, how a code is interpreted, um, what happens is the, uh, and some of you are, are uh, professionals who have dealt with this, but for those who haven't, um, the city staff don't watch the video of the planning commission meeting to hear what the intent was. What they do is they look at the code and they see what's in front of them. And this code, as it's written tonight, um, has a, a lot of relatively directive and prescriptive language about deferring to the, the mature tree as the priority over other things, like the swimming pool. Um, you know, there's a, a not out of touch interpretation of, of this code that could say, if I wanna build a swimming pool or an ADU in my backyard, I have to build it around that tree. And, you know, we saw a, a flow chart tonight that sort of says, here's a decision tree, right? But there's no thresholds associated with that. So, Commissioner Edwards, to your question, first we want to preserve in place, but let's say we need to next try to go to um, relocate. Well, what's a reasonable cost for relocation? Because relocation can be 1000 or $2,000, or if you're on a narrow lot with a big tree in your backyard and it's the only place to put your, your ADU, you might have to crane it out of there that could be a $30,000 expense. And so there's a lot of lack of specificity in how this gets executed. Um, I think there's a way to make a lot of this work, but it, it's, it's gonna take a lot more clarity and direction than what's before the commission this evening. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to work with staff in the future to, to try to be collaborative on that front. So thank you for your consideration. Uh, thank you. Our next speaker will be Lynn Hoopengarner, and Lynn will be followed by our last public speaker, um, Andrew Solomon. Thank you. Uh, Lynn Hoopengarner, City of West Hollywood. Um, <laughs> at this point, um, the real conversation is about replacement. To date, we do not have any language in our code about replacement. We allow for cutting down trees, which happens all day, every day. I've had more than 20 very old growth trees uh, cut down within a, one block of my house in the past couple of years. Um, that's significant, and I know that's happened in all of our neighborhoods. Um, I want to commend staff for what they've done, and I would agree that there's some tweaks needed. I think a, a number of them been, have been identified tonight, and there's a couple, I wrote a letter, I've got a couple in there too. Um, but. The bulk of this is absolutely spot on what council requested. 
we need to keep our tree canopy. We need to protect our tree canopy. Nothing in this proposed code prevents development, prevents housing. It allows for housing. It says if you need to cut down the trees, you need to cut down the trees. But now it's time to start planting some new ones. That's the distinction. And thanks to the state laws, we now have a lot more flexibility thanks to reduced parking requirements. There's, a, there's a, no need to build lot line to lot line anymore in order to accommodate the housing proposed. We can now have native soil, good term, yes, we should use it, and plant trees because we're especially looking at coming up soon to a neighborhood near you, new ZTAs on micro units and all of these much, much smaller units where people are gonna really desperately need green space. They're going to need intensive green roofs, courtyards, green areas that are not occurring in a number of the projects that this commission has looked at over the past number of years that are absolute lot line to lot line building and not a green thing in sight. And that's a detriment to our city as a whole and contraindicated by our own general plan and our top seven goals. So the question is, are we gonna put up or are we just gonna just kowtow to every single development? Most of you have been to my home. I have two huge 100-year-old trees in my yard, okay? Will it limit the ability to develop on my property? Yes, it absolutely will. Will this potentially cost me money? Possibly. But am I all about the money? Are we all all about the money? Or are we about our community and our green space? And these are all hard questions that we need to ask. Do we need to tweak this code? Yeah, in a couple places we do. But let's not compare a swimming pool to an ADU. When you need to cut down a tree to build a swimming pool in a water-challenged environment, that's not a comp comparable thing. Furthermore, Mr. Green, with all due respect, <laughs> you can't compare um, the fact that you say that your developers are overproducing trees when there's no current minimum requirement. You can't say that you're producing those when that's not actually happening. So, and yes, five hours of minimum sun is a bare minimum. If you look at a tree, you go to the little nursery, it has a little label, it says sun, that's six to eight hours. Five is a bare minimum standard. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. And our last speaker will be Andrew Solomon. Uh, Andrew, you have three minutes. Please state your name and city of residence. Thanks, David. Uh, good evening, Andrew Solomon. Uh, I live here in West Hollywood on Kings Road. And I wanted to come tonight to speak in opposition to the zone text amendment in front of you. Um, I know that we all uh, love trees. I think we can all confidently say that. And I can appreciate for staff that this is a really difficult needle to thread. And I know that you've put a lot of time and thought into this. Um, but I, I fear that these restrictions go uh, way too far uh, on private landowners. According to the staff report, this was a council directive from November 2019. Uh, four years later, I think the current council looks uh, a lot different um, and has different values uh, that I don't think that this policy uh, squares away with. Um, as much as we all love trees, people are more important. And at first glance on reading through the, the language that's being proposed to you tonight, it makes it look like it is a lot more difficult and cumbersome to build in the city of West Hollywood. Um, according to state law, we've said that we need to build 4,000 units by the end of the decade. Where are they going to go? 
when I read this, I was, I, I, I wrote out exactly what Commissioner Gregoire, is it, am I saying that right, Gregoire? Uh, what, what you asked earlier. Um, say a developer comes across two single-family homes in an upzone neighborhood, but they have canopy trees in the backyard. I think at first glance, when you read this very prescriptive text, it says you can't build there. You cannot replace those trees in the backyard. Rick pointed out that there's this, uh, notwithstanding, the community development director may determine that the removal of a tree is necessary to carry out construction. I think the goal of this policy is to put an objective standard in place, but it seems like it hinges upon, I think this is the scenario that it's going to, we're going to come in conflict, come across the most often, is when we're trying to build infill housing. And while we're trying to do an objective standard tonight, it seems like it hinges upon this notwithstanding, which is a very uh, subjective determination made by the community development director. And I, I think that's the linchpin of the whole language tonight, is what turns out to be a, a very subjective uh, decision judgment made by city staff. Um, you know, I, I would rather see policies that incentivize more trees like this, the free uh, tree giveaway program uh, from earlier this year. I did it. Um, I have a, I, I applied for, for my building, uh, a coast live oak, um, hired a certified arborist. We planted it uh, in, the, in the front of the building. It's great. It'll be there for generations. Um, I don't think that program was, I think it could have uh, used more publicity. I don't think as many people took advantage of it. And I don't think it has to be a 30-day closed period. I think it could be an open rolling thing, but I would rather use carrots to encourage landowners to have more trees rather than sticks that restrict people. So thank you for your time tonight. Uh, thank you, sir. And uh, Chair, I want to uh, read a, uh, Victor Omochenko is in support of this item and he is a West Hollywood resident. That's all we have. Thank you. So I'll close the public speaker portion of this public hearing and we'll move on to commissioner deliberation. Does anybody want to start this discussion? Commissioner Jones? Thanks. I can start. Um, so first I just want to say thanks to staff. I know this has kind of been a many years in the making um, and the work that went into the staff report into the reso did not, does not go unnoticed. I also want to thank members of the public, like our former colleague, uh, Lynn Hoop and Garner, for um, their input into this because it is, important um, and we do appreciate it very much. Um, I have another question for staff and short of using a drone, I don't know exactly how we would do this, but has the city ever taken or undertaken or considered undertaking like an inventory of all of our mature canopy trees? I believe we do have an inventory of all our public trees. Public um, trees, but not for uh, private property. Private property, we do not. And in part because it's not required to do a permit. Sure. We're not always aware of okay. what's planted or removed. Okay. Thank you. Um, you know, I think I asked kind of my primary questions earlier, and I think some important things were serviced. I very much support the intent of this, but the devil is in the details. Um, I had a couple of concerns, I think, largely about whether or not, as Commissioner Matos surfaced, um, whether or not this would ever bring us into 
whether this would leave us exposed as a city to lawsuits or things of that nature if we live in a very litigious state, <laughs> as we know. Um, but just wondering, um, and I, again, I defer to city attorney's office on this. You're the lawyers and I am not. Um, but I, I did have some concerns about that, knowing how aggressive and kind of how one size fits all the state's housing policy has been uh, to date, especially in, uh, in recent years. Um, I also, and Rick, you mentioned this at the top of your kind of staff presentation, but I, you know, I do agree that there's a balance that needs to be struck, I guess. In thinking about this, what kept coming to mind for me are individual property owners who are owners of just one unit or one building, right? So, and I'm, yes, I'm saying this because this kind of applies to me. My husband and I couldn't afford to buy a house in LA, so we had to buy one in Riverside County. Um, and, you know, there are, we have lots of trees in our yard there, and there are prohibitions on, you know, what we are allowed to do to them. And so, in the spirit of, you know, the median age of homeownership has gone up exponentially over the course of the last three decades. I was just listening to um, some stats on that earlier this week. Um, and we know that the cost of homeownership is becoming increasingly prohibitive, especially for younger people. Uh, we are a big city of renters, but you know, we would love for more people to be able to buy in our city um, and not just people who are you know, already incredibly successful. So I think, um, you know, I don't want to create a false binary of it being about being just about the money or just about community and trees. I think that it, there needs to be a balance of both. Um, I understand, and I actually really liked the exception that was made for other kinds of landscaping at the director's discretion. I was very much in favor of that in cases where replacing a tree may be cost prohibitive or um, may not be possible. Obviously, we don't want those trees to be removed, but there are instances where they would be. But I'm thinking, again, very specifically about people who are just starting out, who are just buying their first home. I know this is a small city. I know that we have less than, what, 40,000 people living here and that single-family dwellings are not the majority of it, but I'm just trying to think about crafting code that is specific enough to be helpful, but vague enough to anticipate other kinds of instances, which is, you know, I think how all good policy, I hope, is written. Um, this may be getting a little into the weeds, but I'm wondering if there isn't a way to incent people who might want to build an ADU or a JADU in their backyard. And again, these are very specific examples, but I'm, you know, trying to think about times when this would be especially cost prohibitive for someone who actually wants to build more housing in the city, like expediting the permit process for someone who like moves an ADU in their yard to a place where they wouldn't have to remove a tree or something like that. I haven't thought through all of this and I'm not kind of the one writing it, but I'm just thinking about other ways that people who own smaller properties would be able to, um, you know, kind of still kind of respect and contribute to the intent of the law without being punished in some kind of cost prohibitive way. So. I probably am going to have more comments about this. I have like 8,000 notes scribbled here in my notebook. Um, but I just, I, I don't want it to be unfairly punitive to people who are, who are homeowners in the city. Um, those are my comments for now. I think a lot of my questions were um, already addressed. Uh, generally speaking, I'm, you know, I think I'm aligned with most of this. Um, but I've given my comments and I'm open to discussion on those. So those are my comments for now. Thank you. Thank you.
Commissioner Matos. Thank you, Chair. I'm sorry, did staff have a comment? Um, yeah, I just wanted to dive just a little bit deeper into the cost question because um, in a scenario of like an ADU, for example, in terms of we're talking relative costs, the cost of a new tree is probably going to be somewhere between $600 to $1,200 to plant a tree. It's actually going to be more just to create a path from the sidewalk to the back of the ADU, or if you have to enclose your trash, that trash enclosure is going to cost more than planting a tree. So I think we have to understand scale of what we're talking about when we're saying um, costs and where they might apply. I think obviously the greatest hardship is as identified in a single family uh, uh, scenario because it's not a multi-million dollar uh, development project. But let's also um, think through that our single family homes in West Hollywood are running between what, two and a half to six and a half million dollars now, depending on where they're located. So relative to that, the cost of a tree, I think we have to just consider that when we're talking about um, comments we've heard about cost prohibitive in context of real economics of development. That's all I wanted to share. So Rick, can I ask you a question about that? Um, in this case, if someone wants to build an ADU and there's a tree in the location where you want to build the ADU, you would approve the removal of that tree and the person or the owners could plant a smaller tree in place that accommodates the ADU. Yes, the intent of this is to provide for the removal of the tree for that construction and to require replacement. Commissioner Matos. Thank you, Chair. Um, so actually, before I get into my comments, I really just want to address what Rick just said. Um, you know, a big part of my thinking when I looked at, when I thought about affordability and with what, um, I keep wanting to call you Chair Jones, what Commissioner Jones said, um, you know, outlined in this ordinance, if someone wanted to build an ADU or a JADU, or build a playground for their children, or something along those lines, they would have to, if it's a mature canopy tree, hire a certified tree expert, qualified tree expert, my apologies, have significant findings made by that expert, take out a zone clearance, do the whatever other permitting processes and, that are required, and then hire a crane to lift that tree out of the dirt and relocate it elsewhere on the property. I, no conjecture from the audience, please. Is that true for relocation of a tree? There's probably a scenario where that could happen. The likelihood is, you know, uh, as I said, it's, it's extremely rare where relocation is even possible, but we put it in there as a carrot more than a stick in the sense that if a property owner, if a developer felt strongly about the environment and wanted to save the tree, we had to put language in there to allow for it. So it was intended as that. It wasn't necessarily intended um, to be a hammer uh, in that situation you're talking about for a playground. I think that would be something that 
would be taken into consideration by the community development director but to be clear the answer is yes that's some hypothetically to tree in the rarest of circumstances yes yeah i mean and also and just based on what you just said and based on what's right before us the community development director would only be able to make that finding if a qualified tree expert agreed yes but to clarify that we have three qualified tree experts on staff staff comes out and looks at trees so if there's a case where staff is unable to do it hypothetically in some situation or a property owner wanted to get an assessment of all their trees on their property and hire someone they could but it doesn't necessarily suggest that they're going to have to go out and hire somebody in all cases. Okay, so you're saying that the city would be using city staff that are qualified tree experts to do the assessments? I, I can't give you 100% in all cases and all scenarios, but I can tell you from personal experience, having developed a property uh, on Kings Road, we had 12 trees, city staff came out, they met with us, we gave them a plan of which one was gonna be uh, preserved and it was a very easy process and it wasn't uh, lengthy and it wasn't expensive. Okay, um, thank you. I'm gonna get to my comments now, sorry. I just wanted to get into that a little bit. Um, so I have some pretty significant concerns with the way that this ordinance was drafted. Um, you know, I definitely applaud the intent of this ordinance. I think it's wonderful, I think we should absolutely be incentivizing the planting and preservation of trees, but I think that to Commissioner Jones's point, the devil's in the details. Um, I'm the way that this is written right now is so restrictive that I'm significantly concerned about the implications that it has for our ability to follow state law where multifamily is being developed, and also where people are trying to add ADUs and JADUs onto their property. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a city in the Bay Area a couple years ago that designated their community a wildlife habitat. And as a result of that, there were several housing projects that were stymied due to that decision. The Attorney General and State came in and said that that was not the intent of how the state law was supposed to be used. I'm concerned that the way that this is written and how restrictive it is, that there could be implications. I actually agree with Commissioner Jones's point that we should be looking for ways to incentivize tree uh, uh, additions. Uh, we should be looking at you know finding ways to preserve the trees. I'm there, um, but when we're looking at the new implications of what's before us today, a zone clearance which currently in practice is not happening, as we heard earlier. Um, we're talking about um, different processes that must take place in the environment of state-mandated shot clocks, in the environment of development uh, preference. So, I mean, my job here today, I mean, I, as a person, I can sit here and say, I love the trees, and I do love the trees, and I want to keep them here. Um, but as my role as a planning commissioner, it is to look at a state law 
and objective standards and the ordinance before us and the precise language of the ordinance and then make a determination that this is in compliance with all of those things. Um, I'm concerned on the way that it's currently written. I do have some pretty significant and very wonky changes that I'd like to propose, um, but absent any significant changes this evening, I plan to vote no on this ordinance. Um, so I'll leave my comments at that. Thank you. Else want to speak right now? Commissioner Gregoire, go ahead. Um, you know, I I already gave a preview of my concerns with this. I, I too had concerns about. I, there must be six or seven references in here to that we have to preserve the mature trees, the mature canopy trees, right? I, I guess I, I I appreciate why why staff is proposing that is because look we're we're trying to make a statement that we want trees we want canopy trees we think this is good for our community and the environment or whatever but i guess i am concerned that that it could cause a problem with respect to developing things like affordable housing in the community um you know i, I appreciated that uh that uh, 9B, notwithstanding the community development director may determine that the removal of a tree is necessary to carry out construction in compliance with the fire codes, building codes, and other applicable life safety requirements or applicable standards. That's kind, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's quite a strong enough, like, exception. Um, I don't know, I read it here, it says, existing, Mature canopy trees shall be preserved in place, period. I'm not sure that that exception is going to, my, my sense is that could cause a problem. Um, I don't know if there's some way we can soften that language. Maybe the community development director may determine that removal of a tree is necessary to carry out construction or in compliance with the fire code, building codes, or other applicable life safety requirements. That might that might be a fix for that. Um, I'm afraid that, that the way it's worded now, it's just too limited. It sort of implies that, oh, it will only be necessary if the fire codes or building codes actually require it, right? So I don't know, I don't know what staff thinks about that. Um, just putting an or after carry out construction. Um, so that, that's my thought on that. I don't know if anyone has any, any thoughts about that, but it seems to me we do need to give the city more leeway in determining that, yes, we can re remove a, a mature tree or a mature canopy tree, because otherwise I think people can look at this and say, sorry, you have a mature canopy tree on your, your property. You're going you're gonna to have to like build around it there's even there is even something here that that says that you know having to build around something isn't going to constitute an undue hardship so it would be great to sort of soften this language with respect to the prohibition on uh removing mature canopy trees um but other than that i i 
I fully support the intent of this ordinance. I, I think it's terrific, and you know, I hope we can uh, move forward with some sort of uh, ordinance. Thank you. I know there are more comments to be made, but in regards to your comments, Commissioner Gregoire, Matos, and Jones, is the, um, the intent is, we're, I, it seems like we're all in agreement of the intent of the CTA. Is there a world where we don't wordsmith to death this CTA tonight, and we allow staff to move it forward to city council, taking our comments into consideration and making the modifications that we're requesting without getting into the details tonight. And yeah, Chair, I'm I, I thought that's what we were doing. I'm absolutely okay with that, yeah. Okay. Chair, I would just wanna note, for purposes of the recommendation, we would need, you know, I mean, I think it's one thing to have recommendations, but to address the comments, we would need the actual text of the ordinance to be able to send up as a recommendation. We, we have done sort of recommended terms before, but I think if we're talking about significant subs substantive changes to um, the ordinance, that would have to be done at the Planning Commission before it would move up to City Council. Okay, Chair. I guess we can get to that then. Chair. I mean, I was really moved by one of the public comments. It's like, right, City Council today is very different than City Council in 2019, and they may have a very different approach um, to our comments and to the ZTA. So, Chair, is it okay if I just ask a quick question? Um, is, is there a world where we can recommend changes and then potentially send it back for additional staff development? Um, I'm sure there is. Because absent you know. that, absent the substantive changes, I'm voting no. Yeah, I, um, Zach, is that a possibility? Yes, uh, with the zone text amendment in particular, you know, the, the planning commission could provide substantive direction. I believe we've done that in, in several previous zone text amendments. Uh, direction for staff to make substantive changes to the text of the ordinance. It could come back as a uh, public hearing with revised language based on the direction, so that is an option. And with the zone text amendment, um, you know, it's, it's different from our housing projects in that there's not the same sort of timing constraints. So I think it's up to the commission if they wanna see certain things investigated or follow-up done or specific uh, direction to, for staff to craft specific language. Okay, thank you. I would just comment also on Commissioner Gregoire's point, which, um, as I've mentioned many times tonight, the intent of this is not to preclude housing or new construction. So I think the suggestion to add the or is a very minor adjustment, but it does clarify significantly and if that addresses some of the concerns that is perfectly fine with us that's what this process should be about is um, helping to get to an end point so if you feel like uh, the language with that clarification you know that it can be carried out in conjunction with construction or the fire building and safety or building uh, other life safety I think that that is declarative and may address some of the concerns that have been stated and if there are other ones um you know that is we're happy to address that as well excellent uh, commissioner copeland your mic is off i'm so sorry oh thank you 
Uh, I don't have any problem with um, more specificity or clarifying uh, some of the language, you know, to address some of the concerns. Um, I, I uh, absolutely agree with what Mr. Abramson just said about this is the intent of this is not to, you know, um, delay or avoid any any sort of housing. We we need this zone tax amendment is a crucial way to ensure that we can either save some and add some to our tree canopies and reduce the effects of of climate change, which we say this is one of our objectives. Climate action plans we. You know, we have to uh, maintain shade and air filtering and continue to provide wildlife habitats. And we don't want to destroy unnecessarily trees. Sometimes it will be necessary. And I think that this has made allowances for that. You know, when it, when it is necessary, then there can be a replacement. Um, there, there are several uh, sections that, that go into some detail about this. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. And uh, we really do have to give something back to the environment. And I think if there's competing interests, you know, we, we need to have this balance. And right now we don't have anything. We don't have a standard for this tree replacement. We have to do something. Um, it's long overdue. And um, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm in support of this. I just, uh, I, I have no problem with um, more specificity or clarification of, of any language that um, would, uh, make this a lot more clear, um, as, as some of my uh, colleagues have suggested that there's some words are uh, lacking or there's some confusion um, about what exactly we're suggesting to do here. But overall, I'm uh, very supportive of, uh, of it. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Copeland. Vice Chair Lombardi. Sure, thank you, Chair. Um, so I've thought about this one a lot, especially last night and this morning and throughout the day, and I've really put down a lot of notes here. And so I'm going to apologize in advance that I may be getting a little bit lengthy here, but I, when I was going through this, I was thinking about things that were personal, things that were on a macro scale, and things that were more into the details. And I think as we are looking at the zone text in our city, and we are making adjustments, adjustments that are removing barriers for housing and other elements. There's this sort of balancing of the scales that's happening. And so I think that's where the tension is um, right now, at least that I'm sensing, and just trying to think about how we can make that move forward in the best possible way. I think that our city's been a great example of uh, amazing design, been very pro-housing, been very progressive, and so, how do we do that without it feeling like we're also maybe being restrictive or, or pushing in the other direction? So that's what I've been thinking about, and Chair Carvalero, um, you know, brought up some other things I'd like to as well. But in terms of, of climate change, it's a real thing. Um, there was a time when I lived in New York, a friend of mine woke up unconscious on the table in a room flooded, rescued by firefighters, and rendered homeless. Um, you know, uh, the building down the street from me crumbled, it fell to the floor. I, I heard the rumbling when the tides came up and the building fell. Um, I had to find my brother. I had to, the next morning without cell service, I had to drive, I had to bike to the other side of the city, no reception, in the cold, and I couldn't find him. It was 
Um, probably 24 hours before I heard from him, he turned up in Queens. He had walked down a highway and across a bridge. Uh, climate change is a real thing. And what we do now will have an impact on the future, but we can't be reactive. We have to be proactive. But there's other needs too. And so these all go hand in hand. So looking at West Hollywood, it's getting hotter. Climate change, um, heat island effect. So tree canopies can help with that. Um, we're also looking at microhousing, microunits, and we've already um, seen changes in state um, state law that has removed parking requirements. So a lot of barriers are going away that can make um, construction more affordable or less complicated. Um, it's also changing the dynamic of how we live and work, and a lot of cities already have this sort of setup. So there's a sort, there's a sort of reframing that's happening here. I think you have to kind of look at cities like Tokyo or New York or other dense cities. And if we're headed in that direction, um, people moving into smaller units and not having cars, then they need a place of respite and they need, um, you know, a park that's nearby. They need things that are immediately nearby, which could be a tree. They need things that are within walking distance, and then there can be greater destinations. So that's kind of what I'm keeping in mind with this. And I guess it kind of seems like it's boiling down to one tree per every 6,000 square feet when we look at, at commercial property. It doesn't seem like a huge request. Um, so for those reasons, I'm generally in support of this moving forward. I definitely want to acknowledge that the composition of city council has changed substantially since the um, directive came forward. But I do feel like there was a request for us to look at this. There was a request for us to, um, you know, for staff to develop some adjustments to the code and then for us as a consequence to review it. So I'm wondering, can we help to make it as good as possible? And then I have full confidence that city council will you know, figure out at that point, if they feel like it's what they want, if it's in the right direction or not. And so I'm kind of separating those two when I look at it. So I'd be inclined to support this, knowing that there's more measures in place and I feel like our responsibility is to make it as neat and tidy as possible. I could probably speed through a couple of things that I could see being changed here um, or, or could wait for a minute, but that's where I stand. Well, please go ahead. Okay, I'm gonna speed through them really fast. And we can always go back. So looking through the resolution, let me find my highlights here. Okay, so on page eight of the resolution, I know that Commissioner Gregoire had uh, noted nine, removal of trees and reworking that language. So I'll just leave it at that for now. Um, also on the same page, um, there was a question about maybe revising number five under removal of trees to say is determined by a qualified tree expert, if I'm getting that right, kind of tightening up that language in number five. The tree has been damaged to the point that it cannot recover and grow properly. And then on page number nine, I know that staff had some revises, revisions there. Um, so I think you know what those are under 10B and also striking out number two as presented. 
And then on page 11, a revision to A and then two, where I think the intent was one tree up to 6,000 square feet to clarify the intent there where it says one tree for every 6,000 square feet. And then moving to page 12, I think Commissioner Copeland noted something about um, adding a definition for a native soil, if that's worth exploring. And then I think staff already picked this one up on page 13, revising palm trees to say palm species. And then on their definitions of mature trees, oh, actually, sorry, before that, same paragraph after palm trees, there's a, a portion that talks about native trees that are tall in structure as opposed to wide or preferred. That seems more subjective and less objective, so I would just eliminate that entire sentence, just do away with it. And that is all. Thank you, Vice Chair Lombardi. Does that pick up most of people's comments? Or? No. Okay. You want me Commissioner to, Matos, you want me go. to go through the wonky uh, amendments that I had brought forward? Well, yes, I think that's okay. what we're doing. If, uh, if uh, Vice Chair Lombardi's gone through them, you don't need to repeat them. Perfect. Um, thank you, Chair. So I think that under, on the, I'm looking at Exhibit B, just for everyone that's watching. Um, I'm looking at the applicability section, specifically 1926.020. I do think that there should be a general applicability statement for the section of this code that the provisions do not take priority over state housing law and the provisions of buy right, ADU, JADU, and or affordable housing production. I think that there needs to be a general statement at the beginning that makes that clear. I had also highlighted, I'm looking at page three, number nine, titled removal of trees. There are five criteria that um, allows the community development director to make a factual determination that would allow the removal of the tree. I think that there should be a number six there, and I also think that it's worth mentioning again because I think it's that important that, again, the community development, if the community development director makes a finding that it interferes with by right JADU, ADU, or affordable housing production, that there would be allotment for the removal of the tree. I think that should be specifically called out. Um, I'm looking at now my comments earlier when I was talking about the zone clearance language. Um, it sounds like there's presently, you know, not in what's proposed, but in present world code, or city code, sorry, present city code, there is a requirement for a permit of some sort. I'm fine with adding language that allows for the requirement of a permit. I don't know if zone clearance conveys the right process. It may make it a little bit strenuous. And also, again, per staff's conversation earlier, um, the development permit already 
you know, there's already a permitting process in place for trees. I don't know if creating a standalone zone clearance process for tree removal is necessary. So part of my notes included changing the language there, perhaps to um, referencing that um, trees be, uh, you know, if they're gonna be removed, they, you need a permit, not necessarily a specific zone clearance. And then I had outlined each and every area in the proposed ordinance or zone text amendment that has the reference to the word zone clearance. Um, so if that's helpful, I can provide that. Um, the, this, this one is already actually done, the removal of letter B two under 10 replacement of mature trees. Um, one other comment that I had on that same item that we're looking at page four under number 10 replacement of mature trees. Um, the community development director is given um, the ministerial uh, authority to actually make a finding that there would be no else, nowhere else on the property for a tree to be removed or moved to, or there's a substitution of foliage. Um, I think that right now, the way that it's written, it would, in order for the community development director to make that finding, it would be required to consult with a tree expert. I was gonna recommend removing that requirement because it sounds like there's three city tree experts on staff and we could put in language that they could consult with a tree expert on city staff or something to that matter if it's really that important. But I, I just don't see the point in granting the community director uh, development authority to make a finding if it's incumbent upon the subjective opinion of someone else. I, I, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and then to Commissioner Gregoire's point, I don't think that the wording, uh, I'm looking at page two under applicability section, letter D, designing a new structure around a mature tree because it is an inconvenience does not necessarily constitute a hardship. I didn't find that to be particularly um, copacetic in agreement with state law. So I would recommend that completely being struck. Um, but other than that, those were the changes that I made. Um, I think that with the level of changes, it does warrant additional time and community input, in my opinion, but um, those are my thoughts. Rick, go ahead. Um, I just want to give a little bit more background on that last uh, line you mentioned, because uh, I can see the reading of it in a macro scale. One of the things the staff struggles with right now on a regular basis single family property beautiful tree side yard right against the property line and the applicant comes in with a box and they want a straight path to the rear yard and so that path would necessitate removing this amazing tree whereas if they had just deviated slightly around it then they have a great tree you know in the one case i'm thinking of they had this living dining room that would have really benefited from windows looking out at this amazing tree and instead the designer just you know wiped it all out because they wanted to start from scratch and so when we question it 
they said to us show us in the code where it says we can't do this or we have to do this right show us in the code so it's that kind of interaction that we keep having that is necessitating that we like put things in here that we would think you shouldn't even have to do that but we're being held to the standard where is it say that I have to do this so that was the origin of that one to just say you know what when it's not a hardship and it's just inconvenient for you because you want to have a blank site to work with you know in those cases that's maybe going beyond that balance we're trying to get between the natural and built environment so that was the origin of it it wasn't you know something like if a trees in the middle of a property and you have to design a donut house to keep it in place that that wasn't it but it was just the case that and it's it's not a one-off it's regular where they say show us where we have to do it or we're not going to do it kind of thing and that's that's where it came from I definitely understand that sentiment and I could see why you would put that in there I, I just think that right now as it is if there was if my feedback was incorporated and there was an applicability addition that that's made it an explicit call out of state law being taking precedent um, I think that that would actually eliminate the purpose for that statement that we were just talking about about you know inconvenience not constituting a hardship because if someone's trying to build affordable housing or ADU or JADU, it, even if it's in mere inconvenience, it takes precedent, right? Mm, I don't think if Isaac, you want to comment on that? That's not what state law, I, I think there's the impression that housing is a wild card in a poker game and all you have to do is use the word housing, you get to do anything you want and it's, it's not that, it has to, there has to, jurisdictions have to have reasonable objective standards that are achievable that don't, you know, to Commissioner Jones's point, cost, you know, uh, trigger, in, you know, unreasonable costs or difficulty, but we, we are supposed to have standards. That's what the zoning code is. And so it's, it's not housing at the expense of everything. It's housing in conjunction with everything. You still have to have trash bins. You still have to have, uh, you know, certain meters and requirements. There's always other things that go with housing. And so um, I, I don't necessarily think that that would preclude state law in that scenario, would it? So Commissioner Matos, the question was about hardship and whether it was uh, important to include language about state law precedent for housing law? No, that, that state law precedent would wipe out any standard you could ever apply. That's not what I said. Right, that they would get rid of the hardship. Yeah, so I was saying that the language that says that difficulty, you know, or inconvenience doesn't necessarily constitute a hardship. My question was, in a scenario where someone is trying to build affordable housing or JADU or ADU in accordance with state law provisions, even if it's if it's an inconvenience to the development of that by right housing, does it then create a conflict with state law? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it's a lawyerly answer to say it would be fact specific. I think, you know, we do have obviously protections in state housing laws that talk about the creation uh, and approval of housing superseding 
sort of things that would physically preclude housing. I think additionally, um, we have uh, standards in place that uh, would only be applied to the extent they're applicable to certain housing projects, and there are by right housing projects that are reviewed with a more narrow lens. Uh, I don't see an issue with the inclusion of specific language, if that's the intent or if that's direction to come back and try to expand upon sort of the uh, integration or or um, intersection between state housing laws and these standards. I think the, the hardship language was drafted in part uh, as sort of a carve out, uh, I wanna use my words carefully, the, the hardship waiver language was based on precedent and other instances with housing projects where there can be limited exceptions based on the language that's used here, like unusual circumstances. But I think it's certainly up to the commission um, if there's an intent or desire to see more specificity with how it's gonna interact with different types of housing projects, because I think they do vary uh, between some of the types of projects that have been discussed tonight by right ADUs versus affordable housing projects that might be reviewed under separate uh, state law. So I hope that started to answer your question, but I'm, uh, let me know and, and I can address bit, it further. But I'm gonna yield to the chair. Okay. Um, Commissioner Matos, I mean, when I read that comment, I saw it from a design perspective. You know, sometimes limitations create better buildings. So if you have to work around the tree or work around a big landscape element, a big stone or something, sometimes it creates great opportunities for great buildings, whereas a typical developer might just want to come in and just bulldoze everything, and like Rick said, that we lose the tree. So. I didn't see it as a limitation. I saw it as a possibility. Thank you for that insight, Chair. Um, any other comments? Of course, go ahead. No, no, I really, uh, once again, I, I echo what uh, Commissioner Jones said and everybody else has said or implied is that I really appreciate all the work that's happened over the last uh, four years now and, and all the comments that have been made about the necessity of trees to climate change and to our just overall health. But I also just want to get on the record and be clear about this, is that dense housing is also significant and needed for addressing climate change. That according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, in their sixth um, report, they're very clear about that. There's pages and pages and pages on it identifying density, transportation, and proximity to job opportunities as essential to addressing climate change. And I just want to make sure that, that we're clear on that, that we're just trying to, as uh, Mr. Anderson has said, to, and that we're all trying to do is find that balance with that tension. And at some point, it would be ideal that there's no tension. It just becomes the natural course of our activities. And because and, it's like, it's a false construct that there should be, because trees are nature, we're nature, we're all nature, so how do we come back to our roots and, and make it work? So I, I appreciate how we're wrestling with this, so I appreciate everybody's insight. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think everybody, I, all the comments have been made. I'm in support of the intent of the CTA, and I, given the comments that have been made by Vice Chair, Lombardi and Commissioner Matos, if those changes or updates are acceptable to the commission, uh, I'd be okay with supporting this moving through 
to City Council, not having to have it come back to Planning Commission again. How does the Commission feel about that? Yeah, I would just note from from perspective as legal counsel, I think there's been a lot of comments. I know uh, Commissioner Lombardi read some into the record. Eric, uh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Matos read some into the record as well. I mean, my suggestion is if the if the council wants to move this forward, uh, certainly it would be important to put all of those requested changes on the record. And then if that's the desired intent of the commission to move it forward, I think just to make sure it's exacting and it's exactly what the commission envisions, it could either come back on consent to the planning commission to evidence that it incorporates all those changes. The planning commission also, if there are broader substantive changes, could request um, just a, the direction be made to the ordinance and it comes back as a public hearing or a continued public hearing. So the commission has options. I just wanna be sure that if there's the intent to move it forward tonight that the changes are uh, Correct. Read into the record, specified, and then at the very least that it would come back to the commission on consent to ensure it's all captured and consistent with that direction. Okay. Um, My preference, uh, by the way, for whatever it's worth, Chair, was to have it come back. On consent or as a public hearing? I'm open to either. I'd prefer consent. Does anybody else feel I would one way or another? Consent. Process question. If it's on consent, if we're reading through and we find more challenges, then it gets pulled off a of consent? Okay. We can. Yes, but I would say if the intent is for staff to do any sort of investigation or substantive follow-up, it will be more appropriate as a public hearing. If the intent is to read into the record a series of changes um, and the c commission votes on those changes and is in agreement, it could come back on consent just for sort of a, a technical confirmation that it captures those um, but I think it's the difference between broader-based follow-up or follow-up that can't be stated on the record tonight versus changes that the commission votes on this evening that are, are spelled out uh, on the record and could come back as a revised version. Vice Chair Lombardi? Yeah, sure. I mean, my opinion is I don't think it needs to come back on consent because I don't know, I usually check these things when it goes to city council and try to flag things that way too, if I see something that's inconsistent. But I totally get the idea of it going to consent and I've suggested that myself before in more complicated matters, so I'd be fully for that as long as we don't overly complicate it when it goes on to consent. Um, so yes, and I, 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 can, I would make a motion if other people, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Can I, can I speak, sorry. Commissioner so, Jones? I'm not opposed to, well, I'm not gonna vote no if we, everybody wants to bring it back. I don't know that I think that's necessary. I think that if we can provide specific direction tonight as regards, you know, our instruction and our thoughts, trusting that staff will, you know, transcribe those into the staff report and, you know, make those requests for changes or that, you know, the, our request that they look into it further known, I'm comfortable with that. I think, um, Someone's already pointed out that one of the speakers said earlier that, you know, we have a very different council now than we had four years ago. And I think ultimately, you know, they will be the ones determining the direction ultimately of, of the ZTA and how that looks in its final form. So again, I'm not I'm not gonna die on this hill, but I would be I would be more inclined to move it forward with specific changes uh, per city attorney's comment. So Isaac, sorry. Go ahead. 
thank you chair i think of the comments and corrections i think we picked up most of them that are pretty straightforward that we could wordsmith or work out there is one though that i think if we could get a little bit more direction and it is that nine b and i think there were two suggestions made both of which would be acceptable one was commissioner gregoire suggesting that maybe we insert the or so that it's very clear to isolate for new construction or for the other reasons fire building what have you and then commissioner mottos was saying that he might feel comfortable if it's pulled out as a number six on its own and we could basically say the same thing that it's to carry out construction and then the notwithstanding could refer to the fire department and the building department and what have you so i think both of those are acceptable but if you can give us more preference that's the one that is still a little bit of optionality i would say commissioner gregoire i i thought uh commissioner mottos number six was a little more narrow it was kind of a preferable or not no i guess i was i was saying you know i wouldn't mind number six being added as proposed by commissioner mottos but i was thinking it would still be good to insert or after the word construction well if we made a new number six half of that would go into number six and we would pull it out of number six or we would pull it out of b and make it number six in other words we would say one of the criteria would be to carry out new construction and then it would say notwithstanding for the fire department if number six is that broad i think that would be great but i i thought commissioner mottos had made it more narrow i i just wanted it to specifically reference state law housing housing law okay i think i had that in another section but i can add it here yeah yeah so if we're okay with everybody's changes generally, are we able just to move this forward? Commissioner oh. Copeland, do you have any last comments? Uh, hi, thank you, Chair. Um, just a little clarification maybe when we're talking about the objective uh, standard of the zone text amendment versus um, state housing law. Maybe I missed something on that, but what, what exactly were we going to add with reference to that? Commissioner Matos, do you want to respond to that question? What specifically where would we reference? Is that what the question was, Commissioner Copeland? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I said earlier that we would reference uh, housing production, affordable housing, ADU or JADU, and uh, construction in compliance with um, state housing law and um, other factors. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, so we're basically just stating what is already a fact. If it's in contradiction with, with state housing laws, then we're not trying to be non-compliant. Yes. So we're not trying to uh, waive our objective standards, you know, because basically any project could have some affordable units in it. Um, which would sort of negate the whole zone text amendment uh, if, if it were to exclude anything that had that in it. But you're just trying to um, clarify and state, uh, state that, just put it black and white. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. correct. Okay, thank you. I just I want to make sure that I was clear on that, and uh, thank you for, for clarifying. Thank you, Commissioner Copeland. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Chair, I just would like to bring up a concern. Uh, we would not traditionally use city internal staff arborists to weigh on private property matters. Um, even when we remove trees ourselves, we bring in a third-party arborist to do that. So I know that that was part of the conversation, but I would have a real concern with us doing that. Our staff is, it, one, depending on how much momentum this takes, um, we don't have the resources, and two, it's not really a, um, a practice for, for um, city staff to be weighing in on private property matters, our city staff arborists. So um, they're not insured the same way that um, consulting arborists are. So um, I think that we may want to rethink that particular position only because, like I said, I'm concerned our, our, our staff are not insured the same way a private arborist who has professional liability insurance and everything is insured. Um, our, we're advisory, but we don't necessarily make um, firm rulings on things that could become controversial. Thank you. Um, so given Commissioner Jones's comments earlier, <laughs> Rick, sorry. <laughs> so given, given those comments and Commissioner Jones's comment earlier about having more options for the public, and like Arts Council, they have an in-lieu fee, mm -hmm. could we potentially do an in-lieu fee here that residents could possibly apply for a grant to cover the cost of an arborist or something similar? I think we can bring it back to staff and discuss uh, other options. Um, or incentives. Yeah. I'm not committed to any one path. I think that's an important point of clarification, but I don't think it states anywhere in here that, you know, staff would be a consulting arborist for private property. It's just something that we would want council to take into consideration when they're considering, you know, the, the ZTA as we're moving it forward to them. I don't. Yeah, I, I think one thing we could definitely look at is creating a list of certified arborists so that if something were to come up and someone needed a, a, a letter, and by the way, I think just the scope of what we're talking about is half of a page or three quarters of a page. It's not a 15 page report that has to be written on a tree. And what would the, what's something like that cost? Um, the one that, that we did, I believe, was on the order of $400. Okay. Uh, Vice Chair Lombardi. I just was going to say, anecdotally, because uh, where I live, we had to deal with this recently. I, we had we wound up getting two arborists and two opinions because it was that affordable. It was a couple hundred dollars total between the two of them to write a, a couple page re report. It was like two pages um, because there were some diseased trees and we needed to figure out what to do. So it depends on the scope, of course, but it was one of the few things that had no issue. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume everything now is $5,000. It's the cost of every basic thing, milk, eggs, pet teeth cleaning, whatever. Everything is expensive now, so I digress. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I just oh, Commissioner Matos, go ahead. General support for Commissioner Jones's uh, recommendation that we look at an in-lieu fee or some way that if there is a cost prohibitive issue that it can be addressed. Um, I, I, for, I know I sound like a broken record here, for, but for whatever it's worth, I really do think that our job here is to make sure that we're sending a well thought out product and recommendations to council. And I think that we've provided that here today, but I do feel strongly that we should, at least on consent, 
have it come back to the commission so that we can review it. Just to keep it in the realm of, again, doing our jobs as a planning commission and ensuring that we're considering all elements of this proposal. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Matos. So do we want to, to vote on to consent or move it forward to, to council before we make a motion? I guess I'm wondering, do we do a straw poll and then, um, or do we just throw a motion out there? Rick, um, sorry, go ahead. Okay, so my understanding, and Isaac can jump in if I'm not correct, but in order to bring it back on consent, we need every single item on the record tonight every single thing you want us to bring back. If you want us to investigate, you know, a grant program or in lieu or other mechanisms and, uh, you know, wordsmith based on your direction, then we want to continue the item uh, and bring it back. And in that case, uh, if we're going to continue it with specific direction to a date certain or and or to keep the public hearing open maybe isaac you should That's sure premised on the idea that we're bringing it back and not giving specific direction or with the, with moving it forward to council yeah you okay. can you can do the wordsmithing now so the the yeah just to reiterate i think the options are you know i know urban design's been taking diligent notes so one option of course is that if there's specific language to amend the zone text amendment that can be read into the record and the item can come back on consent at a future meeting without a public hearing just to confirm it captures all those changes which would be read into the record before the motion. Alternatively, if there's substantive items um, for staff to investigate, um, it, that could be part of the ultimate recommendation to city council or to revise the language in the ordinance. The options for the commission is either to continue it to a date certain, um, continue the public hearing to a date certain, uh, to do that follow-up or could re-notice the item as a public hearing. So there are options available. I just want to be sure for the, the resolution, I'm sorry, for the resolution that would be recommended to the City Council that any changes are going to be read into the record and voted on this evening in terms of the specific language. Thank you. It looks like we have a motion on the table. Commissioner Matos, is that a motion? Um, I actually pressed it. Oh, that's sorry. That's a request. <laughs> I got impatient. Sorry. Okay, sorry. There's a lot of information going around, and it's overly complicated. So I just thought I would try to streamline the process for a moment, not to, um, you know, if, other, if there's discussion on the motion, I think we should do that. But I'd be inclined, because of all these complications, to just move it forward, trust that staff will incorporate the changes that we noted, keep an eye on it as it goes to city council and understand that the composition of the council has changed and maybe they feel differently about it, but move it along and forward versus um, circulating back. So I'd like to move the motion with the changes recommended by staff, the changes that I read into the record and the changes that Commissioner uh, Gregoire and Matos noted um, to be adjusted. And I think that's a full motion, but let me know if I need to clarify. Okay, so that's your motion. Do I have yes. a second? I'll second. Okay, then at that time I'd ask Urban Design to just read those changes into the record for the motion in terms of the specific changes. Okay. So we're going to have to restate. go through them one by one and you're <laughs> going to have to say that's good or not. Maybe we go page by page. Yeah. I'm going to rely on the first few pages where I did not 
recommend the changes. I was trying to follow them myself and struggled there. So. Also, can we just be clear if we're reading, when we're referencing page numbers and item specific item numbers, if we're referencing the strikethrough version or the actual resel? Yes. Great, thank you. So which, which would you prefer? My, uh, whatever you prefer. <laughs> I just wanna know which one so I make sure I have it open. Sounds like the preference is a strikethrough. However, the resolution is the resolution. So yeah. I don't know if that changes things. So the resolution that's attachment A. Okay. Okay, so. Rick is going to repeat them too. So 1926-020, applicability. What we heard is that uh, Commissioner Matos wanted language up front that talks about uh, any of the provisions not taking priority over state housing laws, state housing laws, I'm sorry. Any objection? Okay. That provision shall not take priority over state housing laws. The next one, I believe, dealt with the So there was, there was comments about um, zone clearance and permit, and I would want Jennifer to correct me, but perhaps the language could say that it requires a zone clearance or other applicable permit. So that would cover all the different scenarios that could come up, whether it's you know development, permit, specific plan, um, I don't Which, know, a green facade that's being replaced or something. I, I don't know. There's so many scenarios. Are you under 19.26.020 applicability? C? Yes, C. C? Yeah, exactly. 1926.040C, okay. where it talks about zone clearance, we would add the language or other applicable permit. Okay. Next. Is there any. Concern? Okay. Okay, so 1926.020D, under the modification or waivers of landscape standards, there was um, direction to uh, look at the language about not necessarily constituting a hardship. And I think, Isaac, the way you landed was you felt that it was um, not necessarily in conflict with state housing law. And yeah, I don't have any notes on that. I wasn't sure if that was Commissioner Matos's yeah. comment. Did you have okay. something you want to change there? Yeah, I had asked for them for them to remove the language entirely. The sentence that says, "quote designing a new structure around a mature tree is it." If it, because it is an inconvenience does not necessarily constitute a hardship. I'm okay with leaving it in because of the not necessarily. I am too. Language. Likewise. Okay. 
Same. Okay, so just to note, I think procedurally, you know, this will, we're gonna have to go through this one by one, but I just wanna note for, for questions where it's about language, I think we'll need the motion maker and then the second to approve and just confirm. So uh, it sounds like the motion maker and the second, if you can just confirm on the record, uh, that there's not a desire in the motion to remove that sentence that starts designing a new structure around a mature tree. Confirming no changes. Confirming no changes. Thank you. Okay, next is section 1926040A8, A1. Again, where it says zone clearance, we will add or applicable permit like we did in the other one. That's under tree locate, relocation. Yes. Okay. You need two yeses. Confirmed. Okay. Section B in that same section under immature trees, it says immature trees may be relocated without a zone clearance. I don't think we need to say or applicable permit because. Um, or we should just just say uh, yeah we can we can just say without a zone clearance or applicable permit that's fine just keep it parallel commissioner Lomb vice Confirm chair lombardi yes that's for immature trees small yep. trees yes confirmed okay thank you number nine section nine under removal of trees Oh, okay, I think there was, there was comments. I know uh, Commissioner Gregoire mentioned uh, where it starts with existing mature canopy trees shall be preserved in place. Uh, the reason for that is that oftentimes there's one specific section of the code that you're working with an applicant on and they're not reading all the other ones. So the idea is to start with the base premise, the base philosophy, and then talk about removal may be only permitted if. So we start with preserve, then removal. So that's the reason. So I think it's, it's preferred that we keep it in, but if you want us to strike it, we can do that. I'd prefer to keep it. I did not mark changing it. Okay. Same. So now we get down to the, the big one, which is um, number five. I think Commissioner Copeland was asking about adding uh, qualified tree expert to make it parallel with number four. Is there any objections to that? No. No. Thank you. Okay. And now the, the question is, uh, it sounded like Commissioner Gregoire was comfortable with Commissioner Matos's uh, approach to add a new number six that would say that, um, uh, that a tree may be uh, removed if it's necessary to carry out construction, period. And then B would still remain as notwithstanding, we would just remove the necessary to carry out construction. I'm sorry. Um, no, we would leave it as is because it's carry out construction in compliance with the fire code, building codes, or other applicable. So I think it's, it's complementary. It, it's still related to carrying out construction, but it's specific to the fire and building code. And I think where this one comes up is we have had 
cases where the fire department asks for it to be removed so it just gives the director after the entitlement to come back and approve that so the language is a number six a tree may be removed if it's necessary to carry out construction and Commissioner Matos would you want in accordance with state housing law yeah okay I was concerned that was limiting it too much then you can remove it that's fine okay Uh, yes. Yes. Thank you. And Commissioner Labardi, let me know if we've skipped one of the ones that you've mentioned. I will. That's the one thing I can definitely flag as we go through. Okay. And then um, number 10 in the same section, under replacement of mature trees, B, we're going to strike number two, the private property includes other mature trees. Yes. That is stricken. Yes. Thank you. If you had a, did you, I heard B, you're removing all of in 10B, right? And then you're removing all of two as well. 10B Under, number two. Yes. In the text for B, you are also making a change. I just wanted to note that. That was, came from staff. It would be both of. Yes. Oh, yes. So. That was something we had as part of the presentation, yes. Okay, so 10B uh, is the desire to remove qualified tree expert and allow the community development director to just make that call without that requirement. Uh, uh, no. That wasn't my change. If it's a deal breaker, then we can remove it, but I thought that the ministerial, the director's comment referred, was referring in reference to another part of this. Uh, yeah, I would be inclined to keep qualified tree expert in. So that's two. Okay. Okay, so just noting for the record, there wouldn't be a change to that section regarding qualified tree expert. Yes. Yes. As part of this motion. We're in section 19.20.055, canopy trees, number two. In commercial zoning districts, canopy trees shall be provided at a ratio of, uh, let's see, so we said one for the first 6,000 and then one for every 6,000 thereafter. Is that acceptable? Because it's addressing that first 6,000 is the concern. One tree up to 6,000, mm -hmm. one tree for the, okay, yes. Yes. Okay. So does that mean it's 6,000 6, and one, after. it would be two trees? It's one tree for every 6,000 square feet. So you need 12,000 square feet for two? Yes. But if it's less than 6,000, you would still need one Yes. versus none. 
Yes, we want to make sure there's one for the first 6,000. Otherwise, you jump to two. So that if it's yeah. 50, as I think Lynn pointed out, if it was 5,999, that there wouldn't be a getting around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I would ask um, Jennifer on fractions if this would just, the normal code requirements for rounding fractions would apply to any standard unless it says otherwise, correct? So if they end up with 9,001 square feet, it would be two trees. I guess that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. On this page, I think we landed with no changes to C. Well, if it's on the same page, depending on which document you're looking at. Dealing with the intensive roof? No, the, the tree expert versus professional. You define professional as it could be a landscape architect in that instance. And I think what I heard there was fine with that. Uh, to the motion maker in the second, there's a request to remove the section on applicability. It's section 1942.020 that talks about a zone clearance shall be required as part of a department review of any construction permit, change in business tenant or other authorization required by the municipal code for the proposed use. A zone clearance shall also be required to authorize. So there's a request um, to remove it consistent with direction uh, in the other sections of the code uh, to just delete that section since there's references to other entitlements. I did not have any notes to change that, but I'm not opposed to it. If that is staff's recommendation, was that part of the presentation? It's all become no, a blur. No, it's triggered because now we're putting it in each section. In each section. So it's sort of redundant now, it's, and it's potentially contradictory. Mm. So you would prefer to remove it? It looks like that makes the most sense. Okay, yes. Yes. Okay, so section 1942.020 is, is uh, removed, and then there was a desire to add a definition of native soil. Yes. Um, which I'm hesitant to do on the fly here. <laughs> do we, I, can the direction be to define that and add it for city council review? I feel like that's not unheard of. If it's just a def definition that we're adding for clarity's sake. I would say the, the resolution's going to have to go up with the existing language. I think if part of the motion is for council to consider a definition for native soil 
that's based on specific directions? So do we have a specific way that staff would recommend native soil be defined? I, I'm uh, hesitant to draw off the top of my head. I yeah. know what I, how what I would define it, but I, I don't think I'm comfortable. Yeah, uh, I think we do have to send the ordinance up with the specific language. Could we send it up with direction that council also consider adding a definition? We can have a pre definition ready. Yeah, that's going to be my is, question. Is it an yeah. alternate to the, in the staff report? That makes sense if to me. If they want to insert it, they can. I think the motion can include a request for council to consider whether it's appropriate to include a definition of native soil, if that's okay with the motion maker in the second. Okay. I would be inclined to add that to the motion that we that staff prepare for consideration a definition of native soil to be included in the resolution for city council to potentially add. Same. There was the uh, adjustments in the canopy tree definition that we had suggested in the staff presentation, which would be to uh, add the word that. <laughs> I think it was in the first sentence, and then uh, remove the word tree after palm, and just say palm and other tree species, uh, and then strike the sentence that says native trees that are tall in structure as opposed to wide are preferred. However, we would remove that. Yes. Yes. I believe that's what we have. If we missed any commissioners, let us know. Um, I'd recommend looking at the definition of vegetative roof or green roof, but it seems like we need to be very specific here, so I don't know if I'm ready to touch that. <laughs> but it looks like it could be revised. So maybe check the definition and potentially recommend a clarified definition. I think that can be part of the recommendation, same with the um, native soil, that the council consider whether it's appropriate to include a definition of native soil. There can also be a request that council consider whether it'd be appropriate to make an amendment to the definition of vegetative. Um, I think that makes sense. I think it's mostly there. I think it's a matter of taking a fresh look, and I'm not ready to spell it out word for word. Yeah, I think we're fine with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay, just to reiterate, that was a long journey. So just to reiterate, we had a pending motion on the floor from Commissioner Lombardi, a second from Commissioner Jones for the changes that were subsequently read into the record. So that's the specific language that would go into Planning Commission's recommendation to council with a, um, so that revised language would become a part of the resolution with a recommendation from the Planning Commission that the City Council consider um, the definitions of native soil and the existing, uh, to consider a definition of native soil and whether it's appropriate to potentially amend the definition of vegetative roof. And so with that motion on the floor, 
the item would come back not as a public hearing, but just for a, a confirmation check on consent to the Planning Commission to make sure that all those changes are reflected as they were read into the record. I thought my motion was to just send it to City Council. Same. Sorry, I would say I from, yeah. yeah, I would say my recommendation would be to have it on consent to ensure that the, the, the resolution is. I don't know if I won't want to. <laughs> if that's your, if that's city attorney's recommendation, I would be inclined to support that. That's fine. It's, you, you really feel that's um, necessary? It's my recommendation, but there is a motion on the floor, and so I'd leave it to the motion maker and the second. So the seconder, you feel strongly that we should put it on consent? If it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be flexible. I, I would wanna... be inclined to, to defer to judgment of city attorney. That's... Okay, well then if consent it, it is. Yeah, I was gonna say, if it, if it helps shine any color, I will vote for this if it comes back on consent. With reluctance, yes. <laughs> Okay, we're, we're all set, unless there's any more discussion among the commission. David, vote. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Jones. Yes. Commissioner Meadows. Yes. Commissioner Gregoire. Yes. Commissioner Edwards. Yes. Commissioner Copeland. Yes. Vice Chair Lombardi. Yes. Chair Carballero. Yes. And the motion passes unanimously, uh, approving resolution number PC231523 as amended and is read into the record. There is no appeal process since this is a recommendation to city council, but we'll be coming back to you on consent calendar at a later date. Thank you. Um, item 11, new business, we have none. Item 12, unfinished business, we have none. Excluded consent calendar, item 13, we have none. Uh, 14, items from staff, planning managers update. Good evening, Commission, thank you. Um, before we start with our typical update with the look ahead and the agendas and all of our projects that we'll be bringing to you, I just wanted to um, remind everyone and talk really briefly about the additional section on our agenda that I think for the first time this evening actually has an item under it, even though it was continued. This is the section for housing account projects that are subject to the Housing Accountability Act. And so um, I just wanted to remind everybody what that's about and let the public know if anyone's listening um, or for those of you in the audience, uh, what that section's about. And basically this section is specifically for projects, as it says, that are subject to the Housing Accountability Act. The distinction is being made so that the public and so that the commission knows in advance, upfront, on the agenda, that that's what these projects are. Um, and as we've talked about before and that we will talk about when each of these items comes forward, these are projects that, are, that include housing to a certain extent um, that, are being, that are governed by legislation that the state's putting out re related to housing that restricts 
the amount of discretion that the city can put into it and creates very specific findings for denying or strictly conditioning these projects. So um, all development projects are reviewed under the city zoning ordinance and general plan, but housing accountability projects um, have that other level of discretion and need to be held to objective standards only. Um, again, this isn't the first time we've talked about it. It certainly won't be the last time we've talked about it. I just wanted to remind everyone what that is um, so that when you start to see projects pop up in that section that we all um, understand what that means. So if you have any questions, I'm here. Otherwise, uh, Francisco will get going with our look ahead. Thank you. Um, yeah, hello, uh, commissioners, uh, chair and vice chair. Um, so yeah, coming up um, for our uh, look ahead calendar, just want to give you a little um, just update on um, some things that are coming up at the city council um, and then some of the planning commission um, uh, here shortly. Um, so um, November 6th at the um, city council meeting, we're having the city playhouse project. So that's gonna be uh, coming forward for their consideration. Um, there will also be some discussion about the San Vicente streetscape project. Um, so that will be an update on, uh, on those projects. Um, coming in November, November 20th, um, they're more than likely, if, no, actually, we're not gonna be able to bring the zone text amendment just yet regarding tree canopies to November 20th. So um, they'll probably move to December, um, but there is a AB 2334 compliance item, uh, which is just a receive and file, but. Um, so that's for November. Um, Planning Commission coming up in um, November 2nd. At this time, there are no items on the agenda. So it's very likely that that um, meeting may be canceled. So um, we'll try and do our best uh, to help you with that. Um, but as of now, November 16th, there are a couple of items. We have the Weatherly Drive project that was continued from today's meeting. So that'll be coming November 16th. Um, and then we are bringing forward a zoning um, uh, text amendment regarding electric vehicle showrooms. So that was the item that was considered today during the long, uh, long range planning subcommittee meeting. So that will be coming uh, over to, for, the full, um, for the full commission. Um, December 7th, the meeting is canceled due to the, re due to the religious holidays. So then the following meeting will be December 21st. Um, we do have somewhat of a packed agenda right now. We have a project on Larrabee, 1238 to 1244 Larrabee. That's a six-story, 24-unit apartment building. Then we have a couple of zone text amendments. Um, more than likely, we would bring forward a discussion about uh, micro units and studio units um, to that um, to that particular um, meeting. So and there might be another ZTA, I just don't wanna promise that just yet, but so for now we have one ZTA in the Larrabee uh, project. For Planning Commission Design Review Subcommittee, um, October 26th, we have that 1236-1244 uh, Larrabee project um, that I just mentioned. That is a special meeting, at Plummer Park, rooms five and six, that's October 26th. Uh, for the Sunset Arts and Advertising Subcommittee, there is a special meeting on November 9th. That's for review of 8410 Sunset Boulevard, um, so for a billboard project. Um, and then Long Range Planning Subcommittee, we do not have any items currently on the, on the agenda for November 16th or December 21st. And with that, I will um, cede the floor. Vice Chair Lombardi. Well, I, I was going to note this might be the end of my 
12 month or more streak of not missing any meetings. And I, and I don't think it's something that would qualify as hybrid meeting, but November 2nd, it's looking like I have a work conflict, but perhaps the meeting is canceled. So I just wanted to note that now since this is the last meeting before that and it did come up today. So it's, I'll do what I can if the meeting occurs, but I may not be able to make it. Thank you. Any other questions? No? Thank you. Um, David, do we have any public comments? Chair, uh, we do have one public comment on the Zoom platform, and we are all clear in the council chamber, so we'll go to the Zoom platform for that. Hello, uh, the person with 9751. Go ahead and state your name and what city you res reside, and you have three minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. My name is James, Jamie Francis Wendell, who resides here in Havenhurst Drive in West Hollywood. I, uh, I'm sorry that I didn't make comments before, but I'm glad that there's somebody who is aware because I can't achieve with the council as easily. So thank you for the planning commission and those two being vigilant. With that being said, I am an affordable housing recipient and I have lived here for 12 and a half years. Now what's disappointing, and I'm just referring to one of the staff members I just mentioned before public comments got open, is that there has to be regional housing assessment needs that are uh, needs assessment that basically has to be taken into account that West Hollywood has failed, especially on the west side, where the commission is meeting right now. There is little to no viable affordable housing. And do you know why? Because residents have basically said that why should there be new projects? I've been here for 20 years. I don't want to see it. I don't want my, my views impeded. And what happens is it's a cycle. And here, fellow residents who want to move to other sections of the city can't do that. We're stuck. We have to live on the east side. It took me eight years almost to move 12 blocks to Crescent Heights from Sierra Bonita. That is ridiculous. And I've been on the list for 10 years to get into affordable housing. And I said to the staff and I said to the department, so you need to be telling me that I'm on a list of housing that's not even built. In reference to 1236, 1238 Larrabee, there was something at the uh, rec center. There was a meeting. And after the staff got through their presentation, along with the person who's appointed with the developer, and they said, this is the synopsis, this is what we want. There's a variety, there's a multi-mix of units, affordable, non-affordable, market rate. At the very end, residents said, well, what about my view? Oh, and then one had to make a snide remark or say, well, does it have to be built anyway? You know, doesn't that sound ridiculous that people that reside on those blocks get to have preferential treatment and preference of staying there, but I'm a fellow resident in the same city and I don't get a choice to move or have other mobility? It is ridiculous. Same thing is happening with Weatherly. Is it a constant thing that's going to keep on happening and it takes the state to say the city has failed? The city, in seven years, has to find 3,000 units. I have a Section 8 voucher. I don't have to disclose that, but I will. For the mere fact that no landlord wants to take it, even though, by law, they have to, and then I have to wait for affordable housing to be built that's not even existent and part, or if not a third of this city, and yet you have residents in the auditorium right now saying, well, what about this? Not in my backyard. And I am a resident, a fellow resident in the same city who wants to be in that backyard. I have a right to move within this city jurisdiction. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. And that is our last public speaker, Chair. Thank you. Um, do we have any items from the commissioners? Commissioner Jones. Thank you. I just want to note, and I think I've noted before, but I do want to call it out because it's something that's uh, been planned. I will not be at the November 16th meeting. I have a wedding out of the country that I will be attending, so I will not be at that meeting. Um, I did just want to note that. That's all. Thank you. So if there's no further comments, I will adjourn this Planning Commission meeting possibly to November 2nd, 2023, and most likely November 16th, 2023 in Council Chambers. Thank you.